0: Uh, Sam Shimon is our guest tonight. He is from the country of Kuwait. That was bought, born uh, brought here at two years old, at two years old, and then born and raised in Chicago. And uh, has come to a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and has received a calling and a passion to reach Muslims with the truth about Jesus. And I really want you guys to feel honored today. To have Sam with us, he has debated and spoke all over the country, some of the best Islamic teachers. Uh, Sam has spoken with them and represented our cause. He today currently works at the South uh, East Asian South, Asian South Asian Friendship Center on Devon Avenue. And that's all denominations. Everybody is welcome to come and to participate as they reach out to the uh, community that's right there on Devon. And Sam has been a friend of mine for many years, and today we're just honored to have him here speak about Islam. So would you just bless the Lord as Sam comes, amen? Amen. Wonderful. Can we get you some water? Maybe, yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, Just to let you know, before I speak, I get nervous and sick to my stomach, and I think that's just God's way of keeping me humble, because no one can accuse me of being humble, right? But pray for me that I can be more like Jesus, more of Jesus, less uh, of me. But let me just ask the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that the Father of our Lord will be pleased just to uh, bless this time, to anoint me in the power of His Holy Spirit, to speak His words clearly and accurately, and do it for the glory of Jesus and not for the praise of men. And I pray that the Father will fill this place <clears throat> fill you and prepare your hearts, fill you with his presence, with his joy and his love and his Holy Spirit, because it's in the power of the Holy Spirit that we can worship him in a manner that's pleasing to him. And I trust the Holy Spirit will enable me to bless you and to be used to strengthen you to reach Muslims, to take them captive and bring them to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. My brother in the back, Pastor Joe, I think you'll be able to navigate the websites for us. Or it was as soon as it comes on the screen. I'm just going to give you an idea of what I do, and I praise God that uh, He's written a book, and in book and making disciples, He's got a section on apologetics. Praise the Lord for that, uh, because believe it or not, the New Testament says that part of your evangelism includes apologetics. Right? We're not living in a Christian world anymore. We're living in a postmodern pagan society that hates Jesus and His gospel, and they have objections. So whether we like it or not, we need to be prepared to destroy those objections, take captive every thought, and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. That's what the Scriptures command us to do. It's not an option. You don't do it when you feel like it. You do it because you have to, because you love Jesus. This is the website I write for, answering-islam.org. It is the most comprehensive website addressing the challenges of Islam. And the good thing about the website is, It won't just help you in witnessing to Muslims, it will also help you in witnessing to a variety of groups such as Jehovah's Witnesses. Most of the attacks against the Trinity and the deity of Christ by Muslims are taken from Jehovah's Witness literature. So as you study their objections and by the grace of God prepare yourselves to refute them, that will equip you also to witness to Mormons and Joe's Witnesses and skeptics who attack the Bible because the Muslims attack the Bible and the arguments they use are atheist arguments. So as you study this material, it's going to be a blessing across the board as you seek to convert not just Muslims, uh, but uh, Joe's Witnesses, Mormons and agnostics and atheists. In fact, uh, Pastor Joe earlier was telling me about his professor who uh, said that Bart Ehrman was a joke. I don't know if you've heard of Bart Ehrman. Have they heard about Bart Ehrman, Pastor Joe? But praise God, you will and you're going to destroy this, as your professor said, this clown's arguments, right? With the hopes that he'll come back and repent, if the Lord wills it. Bart Ehrman is now the champion of Muslims. Bart Ehrman's writing books on a popular level to attack the Gospels. He wrote a book called Misquoting Jesus. And he's attacking the transmission of the Bible. And Muslims are quoting him to attack the Bible. So as you learn to refute Muslims... You'll also be equipped to refute the Bart Ehrmans of the world. Because their argumentation is pathetic if you know the truth and you're grounded in the truth whose name is Jesus Christ. Now as we go to that website again, Answering Islam, you saw the main page. Just to give you an idea of some of the objections that Muslims are raising. Pastor, if you don't mind, if you go to my page, Individual Authors, when you'll see that. See here, you're going to see it says Individual Authors. He's going to click there. And you're going to see my name Sam Shamoon. Now, there are a host of writers, more qualified than I, brilliant men of God. The only advantage I have over them is that this is what I do full time. Some of them have jobs, they can't do this, and they're more qualified. And my sufficiency is not in me, it's in Jesus. And I tell people, it's not your ability, but your availability. By way of testimony, so that God gets all the glory. The highest education I received is a GED education. But by the grace of God, I believe if you hear some of the lectures and watch the articles, you're going to know that this is the grace of God that enables me to do this. As a testimony to every one of you that we have no excuse because God is willing to give you wisdom to know Him and proclaim Him. You know when you pray those prayers, God will honor those prayers. So we have no excuse. Now here, it gives you an idea of some of the things you're going to need to address when you're dealing with Muslims. Notice I have answers to common questions and claims by Muslims. Now this is the new format. All of my new articles are going to go on this page. However, if you go to my old format, you're going to see that most of my articles are there. Lord willing, we're going to switch to the new format. So if you can just go down to the page, Pastor. If you go down to the page, you're going to see it says the old index. You'll see it because I want them to see the questions. You see it says earlier index page? Right there. Now you're going to give it an idea of some of the questions and objections Muslims are bringing up. Note, if Jesus is God, how can God die? That's an objection they raise. We have the responses by the grace of God. So the work has been done for you. You just need to make yourself available to study the arguments. If Jesus is God, was he praying to himself? Since Jesus has a God, how can he be God himself? See, these are the objections, but these are objections that even Jehovah's Witnesses are raising. So learning to refute the Muslims, you'll be refuting the Jehovah's Witnesses. But keep it in mind, it's not about winning a debate, but winning hearts. And I'm learning that. I come from the Middle East, we like to argue. Pastor Joe can understand, he's Italian, so he's just as hot-blooded as me, amen? As long as our temper doesn't burn, but refines, amen? So I pray that God will give me the grace to be more gracious. I'm a work in process, right? Be patient with me, because Jesus is patient with me. Right? So this gives you an idea of some of the objections they're going to raise. Now, before I go into some of the objections, and I'm going to give you practical Advice and information. Because when you go out in the streets, they're going to ask specific questions. I don't care who it is, these questions will always be raised. And some of you encountered that, right? Some of you are out there on Saturday witnessing to Muslims. I don't know if some of them are here, Pastor Joe. Some of you who are witnessing, you're here, right? I'm pretty certain they told you your Bible's corrupt. Did you guys hear that? And I'm sure you, you were told, Where did Jesus ever say I'm God? That is the typical arguments they always raise. So I'm going to give you information. That's going to be practical. I'm not just going to give you textbook information. I'm going to give you practical evangelism. Before I even get into that, let's look at some New Testament references that commands the church, not just the pastors, not just the deacons, not just the elders, but every member of the body of Christ is commanded to do the work of an apologist. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 14 to 16. Uh, We'll, for the sake of time, we'll read 15. You can go back and read the context. Now, the pastor is blessing me. He's going to the chapters for me. Thank you, and Lord bless you. That makes my job easier. I've gotten in the habit of not reading notes. And I teach basic theology, and I get in the habit of to have the students to read out loud. So i got in such a... It's like if I have a book in my hand, I get confused. You know? So I thank him for helping me. Now, notice what it says in verse 15, and this is in the context of Persecution. He's exhorting Christians not to be afraid of persecution because back then, if you said Jesus is Lord and Caesar isn't, it meant your life. It meant that you'd be tortured, possibly fed to the lions, uh, burned alive or crucified. In fact, church tradition says that Peter was crucified upside down. Do You know why he was crucified upside down? Because he told them that I'm not worthy to die the way my Lord did, so crucify me upside down. Praise the name of Jesus. May He give us that boldness. 1 Peter 3.15, in that context, he's exhorting the Christians. And this is no—it's not directed to the pastors only. It's directed to the entire church. And notice what it says. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Does it say when you feel like it? When it's a good day and the weather's alright, then you go ahead. Or always be prepared. In season, out of season. I don't care how you feel. I don't care if your wife got on your... Bad side. It's not about how you feel. It's about doing what is right. Amen. Right? Always be prepared to give an answer. Now, the pastor can confirm this if you have your lexical sources, and you want to look at the Greek word. The word there is apologian. Apologian. Sound familiar? Apologian is the word where we get apologist and apologetics. In fact, see, he's going to BlueLetterBible.org. This will help you get an idea of what the words are in the Greek New Testament. Because don't forget, New Testament was written in English, translated in English, but written Koine Greek, the common Greek of the time. And you have an excellent pastor there who goes back and studies the original languages to make sure that he's bringing the Word of God to you accurately. So pray for him. It's not easy to preach a sermon. You may think, oh, well, he's only preaching two times a week for an hour. How much work does it take? Sometimes sermons can take up to 30 hours to prepare. I'm not exaggerating. Because he's going to be judged more strictly for preaching. So he's going to make sure that he went back and looked at context, original languages to make sure he's interpreting correctly. So pray for him. Pray for me. Because I have to interpret it correctly or the Lord will hold me accountable. Let's see what the word is. Do you see it? Apologia. That's where we get the word apologist. Apologetics. It means always be prepared. To be an apologist. That's what Peter is commanding the church. You see that? That's the word in Greek. You see it right there. The source confirms it. Nor is this the only time this word appears in the New Testament. The context is always be prepared to do the work of an apologist. To whoever asks for the hope that's within you. Yet do so with gentleness and reverence. Now I'm working on the gentleness part, so pray for me. That part, by the grace of God, I'll perfect for His glory. But let me show you other places where the word apollo he has used. Peter is not the only one to use the word apologetics, apologists. So does the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1 verse 7. We'll look at 6 and 7 for the context. And it's used all throughout. You see it shows you all the places where the word is used. Philippians 1 7 being one of those places. Here in the King James, notice what it says. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, Paul is writing by inspiration, because I have you in my heart. I'm always thinking about you and I love you and I cherish you because you love Jesus. This is what Paul is saying. And he's saying this in prison. Now notice what he says Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are, you, the King James, ye, ye all are partakers of my grace. English is not my mother tongue, so bear with me. Shakespearean English is just brutal on me. But notice what he says. The defense and confirmation of the gospel. You see it's in red, right? Six two, seven. That's telling you that here in the Greek, the word is apologia. Paul is saying that I'm an apologist who confirms the gospel. That's what Paul is saying. Go back and look at the Greek. I'm not making a pastor. Am I making this up? Now, Philippians 1, 16-17, he's talking about some people are preaching out of envy. I'm in prison, and they know that I'm in jail because I preach the gospel, so they don't want to make my afflictions harder. Others do it because they love Christ and me. He says, I don't care their motives as long as Jesus is being preached. They can do it to try to persecute me. They can do it to uh, because they love me. However, they're preaching Christ. God will judge their motives on the day of judgment. In the meantime, let them preach Christ even out of hate for me. That means more people getting saved. And on the day of judgment, God will take care of business. See his attitude? I pray I have that attitude. But notice what he says here. But the other, out of love, knowing that I am set for what? The defense of the gospel. The word is apologia. Paul is saying, I'm in prison for being an apologist, whether we like it or not. If you're going to do the work of an evangelist, and everyone must be evangelist, right? It's not an option. It's a command. Part of your evangelism includes being an apologist. But let me tell you something. It's quite hard to defend a faith you don't know. Are you with me? How can you defend Christianity if you do not know Christianity? How can you defend what the Bible says about Jesus if you do not know what the Bible says about Jesus? So to be an apologist requires that you know that book inside and out. And if you don't know that book, you're easily deceived, right? Because what does Jesus say about the Bible? What is Jesus' view of the Scriptures? Jesus believes, and when he believes it, you take it to the bank. He's right, because he's God. He left the tomb empty. Jesus believes that any time you read the Scriptures, God is actually speaking to you. Where's the proof? I'm glad you asked. Matthew 22, 31 to 32. So I'm just, by way of introduction, why I do what I do. And it's not something that I alone do. There are many others more qualified than me that do it. Your pastor does it, and you, you should be doing it. Right? If you go to Matthew 22, 31 or 32, they're in the context of trying to catch Jesus, right? The Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection, and that's why they were sad, you see. An old one, right? I've heard that from one pastor. I said, I'm going to steal it. Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. I'd be sad too if I didn't believe in the resurrection. But let me tell you something, heaven without Jesus is hell. I'm not just looking forward to heaven, I'm looking forward to worshipping and loving Jesus for all eternity, face to face. If God tells me, listen, you can have heaven without Jesus, I would say, God, heaven without Jesus is hell. So what's the difference? Our heart is to be with Him and to see Him and to kiss His feet and kiss His hands and to be embraced by Him. That is heaven where Jesus is, praise His name. What did Jesus say here? Matthew 22, 31 to 32. And you're going to note here in your footnote, it says he's quoting Exodus 3, 6. Do you see it? But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Notice what he said. He's quoting Exodus 3, 6, which in the context is God speaking to Moses. If you go back to Exodus 3, it's God speaking to Moses out of the bush. Notice what Jesus said, however. When you read that, God is speaking to you. Did you see it? Have you not read what God said to you? Not just to Moses. You know what his point is? Anytime you open the Scriptures, God is speaking to you. But are you listening? That's Jesus' view of the Bible. If that's Jesus' view of the Bible, can your view be any different from the Master who purchased you? You're saying we know more than a Master? God forbid, said blasphemy. But what's the point? The Bible is God's voice speaking to you today. If you're not in the Bible and hearing God's voice, then how do you know that you truly know God? And that what you believe is truly in accord with the speech of God and the Scripture. So being an apologist will require that you spend hours praying that the Holy Spirit illuminates you. Like, like the psalmist said, open my eyes to see wonders in your law. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But again... All of us are commanded to be apologists. It's not an option, which means all of us have to study, know that book, and not just know it, let me put it in context. Knowing is not enough we must do. I don't care if you're a theologian and you're the most brilliant man that walks this earth. If that knowledge doesn't lead to greater holiness, love, obedience, and sacrifice, then your knowledge is useless and all your knowledge will do is bring greater judgment on you. The more you know, the less you do, the the greater the judgment. So again, to put in context, you need to know the book and live the truth of that book for the glory of God. Keep that in perspective and pray for me. Pray for me that I don't just get puffed up with knowledge, but this knowledge will lead me to be more like Jesus, to love Him more and to love His church, you guys who are His body. Because what did Jesus say? If you love me, you'll do what? Feed my sheep. Do you want to know you love Jesus? Examine how much you love your brothers and sisters, how much you love the church. If you're cold towards the church, you are cold towards Christ. Because what does John say? How can you say that you love God whom you do not say, see, but you hate your brother whom you do see? Can't work, right? So if you want to know you love Jesus, see how much you love His church and how much you love the lost. That will be an indication whether your heart is on fire for Jesus and you're passionate or you're cold and withering. With well, that said, this was all warm up. You guys ready? talk about Islam. Now, again, I know pastors written uh, some excellent books and one of them on Islam. I don't know if you've read the book. I don't know how much knowledge about Islam you've already been taught. How much uh, information about Islam do they already know, Pastor Joe? Okay. Very important to give you just a short introduction. I don't have time. Believe me and the pastor will confirm this. I can spend weeks on talking about the filth of Islam. And you're going to need to take a shower after I'm done and ask the Holy Spirit to wash you in the blood of Christ. That's how filthy this religion is. I'm not exaggerating. But again, I don't want to talk about Islam. I want to exalt Jesus. But I have to talk about Islam to give you a context. Let's talk about the term itself. And I'm going to challenge you. Pastor Joe knows the answer, so he can't answer. He's going to just have to pray that God will bless this time. I'm going to challenge you guys, like I was challenged by a Muslim who humiliated me, but God used that to get me to study my faith. So that will never happen again by His grace and mercy. Islam means submission or surrender. Islam means submission or surrender. Either word is a legitimate translation of the Arabic. Remember, the Quran is written in Arabic because Muhammad was an Arab. He was an Arab nomad, right, who claimed that the God of the Bible spoke to him and commissioned him in Arabia, right? We'll talk about that a little later. But Islam is an Arabic term. It means submission or surrender. Theologically, when you talk about surrender or submission, you're talking about submitting to the one God. Which God? The God of the Quran, whose name is Allah. Someone prayed, Allah is not God, Jesus is. Praise God, that's true. Allah of the Quran is not God. However, let me just put it in context. I don't know if you've encountered people who speak Arabic. If I had an Arabic Christian here, and if you were to say Allah, that's the only word they have in Arabic for God. Allah is an Arabic term. It simply means the God. So if there is an Arabic Christian here, if he reads his Arabic Bible, for example, if you read John 1, one in Arabic, it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with Allah, and the Word was Allah. That's what the Arabic New Testament says. Why? Because there is no other term in Arabic for God. However, just because Muslims may use a term in Arabic that Arab-speaking Christians use, doesn't mean it's the same God. Let me further explain what I mean. Let's take the English word God. Imagine you have Hindus on Devon and you're going to find Hindus. You're not just going to be running into Muslims on Devon. You're going to be running into Hindus. You have a Hindu. You have a Muslim. You have an Orthodox Jew on Devon. They're or Orthodox Jews. And then you're going to have Christians and you say to them, Praise God! Every one of them will say, Yeah, praise God. The Hindu, the Jew, the Christian, right? The Muslim. However, when you get specific, Praise be the God! And Father of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How many people are going to amend you? Praise God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I know know Holy Ghost is the only English. Praise God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How many people are going to amend you after that? Only the Christians, who, if they're truly saved and know the Lord. What's my point? Allah is like the English word God. Anyone can use the term. However, what do you mean when you use the term? And who do you have in mind? So don't get hung up too much on the term because if I take you to an Arabic uh, church and there are churches that are in Arabic that are spirit-filled and worship God, right? And they're speaking Arabic and they're calling Jesus Allah throughout the service. It's not the term. It's the person or entity that you have in mind when you use the term. Remember that. Very important. So if you're going to write this down as a rule, The rule is, just because you use the same terms, doesn't mean you have the same thing in mind. That's a very important rule, because you'll be talking Jesus, the Muslim will be talking Jesus, but you're not speaking of the same Jesus, but you're using the same word. Their Jesus is a Muslim prophet. Their Jesus is going to destroy every cross he sees when he returns, and I'll talk about that. Is that your Jesus? So just because you use the same term, doesn't mean you have the same person in mind define your terms. When I say Allah, I mean Father, Son, and Spirit. Is that your Allah? The Muslims say, God forbid. That's not my Allah. Thank you for admitting we don't worship the same God. So remember that. So Islam says, submitting to the one God, Allah. What is the unforgivable sin in Islam? I'm just going to give you some basics and we're going to get into the objections because I don't have too much time to break this down. According to the Quran, the one sin that Allah will never forgive is the sin of associating partners with Allah. Islam teaches that Allah has no sons. Absolutely no sons. That Jesus Christ is not God. And definitely not His Son. And if you think for a moment that Allah has children, or that Jesus is His Son, or that Jesus is God, you are associating partners with Allah, and therefore you're committing the sin that Allah will not forgive. That's the unforgivable sin in Islam. Associating partners with God. Saying that there's more than one person who's God, or that God has children. Now let's look at the Quran to confirm that, that statement. Let me show you what the Quran says. If the pastor can go to Quran browser. <clears throat> pastor, if you can type in 5, chapter 5, verses 72 to 73, and then you can send me colon, chapter 9, verses 30 to 31. Now watch this. Let's see what the Quran says about Jesus being God, or the Son of God, and Allah having part, uh, or other partners who are God. Now Yusuf Ali pretty much butchers the Arabic. You have to be careful of even the translations you read. I recommend some good English translations, but let's just read Shakir or Shakir right here. We're going to read this. Certainly they disbelieve who say, surely Allah He is the Messiah, son of Maryam. Maryam is the Arabic word for Mary. And the Messiah said, O oh, children of Israel, serve Allah, my Lord and, uh, and your Lord. Now notice the Muslims. This is God speaking. Muslim is being told that you are disbelievers for believing that Jesus is God. You're a disbeliever. Muslim believes this is the gospel truth. He believes this is God telling him. And then you're coming and telling him Jesus is God. What do you think the Muslim perception is about you? You are children of Satan, sent by Satan to destroy the souls of Muslims by preaching a lie. The way you think of them is the same way they think of you. You think they're lost under bondage of Satan. They think you're lost and agents of Satan sent to destroy the Muslim community. See, it's all perception. But you know how we know we're right and they're not? Jesus left the tomb empty. Muhammad is worm food. Muhammad's been dead for 1,400 years and good riddance. Jesus is alive. He's the risen Lord. We know we have the truth because he's alive. He's the one who said that I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I live forevermore. But again, I'm jumping ahead of myself. So you're a disbeliever because you say... Jesus is Allah. English, Jesus is God. Now let's go to the next verse, verse 73. And by the way, before you even go go up again, I'm sorry, Pastor, right here. Now notice the second part. Surely whoever associates others with Allah, then Allah has forbidden to him the garden. If you associate Jesus with God, you will never enter paradise. That's what the Quran says. And according to the Quran, that is the message of Jesus. That's what Jesus taught people. Hey, I'm not God. I'm a servant of Allah. And you better not say Allah has children, or there's someone else that's God. Otherwise, you won't go to paradise. Where are you going to go? You're going to go into the fire. That's what it says. Now let's go to f- 573. If we scroll down a little bit Pastor. Notice here. Certainly, again, it says, they disbelieve who say, surely Allah's the third of the three. Now, Some Muslims will tell you that this is attacking the Trinity. It's not. It's attacking a perversion of the Trinity, and I'll explain that in a moment. However, here the Quran assumes that we Christians believe there are three gods. And we are disbelievers for saying that. Now, if you go to the Quran, the three gods that the Quran accuses us of worshipping is Allah, Mary, and their son. The Quran accuses Christians of worshipping Allah, Mary, and Jesus. Obviously, no true Christian worships Allah... Mary and Jesus. But that's what the Qur'an accuses Christians of. Why? Because in Muhammad's mindset, if Jesus is the son of God, and he's the son of Mary, and Jesus is God, then Mary must be a goddess. See, that's how Muhammad thought. In fact, Muhammad thought, the only way Allah can have a son is if he has a wife. That's what the Qur'an says. You can write this down. We won't turn there, but write this reference down. Chapter 6, verse 101 of the Qur'an. It says, the wonderful originator of the heavens and the earth. That's chapter 6, verse 101. How can he have a son seeing he has no wife? That's chapter 6, verse 101. You understand what that means? Muhammad's saying to the Christians, the only possible way for Allah to have a son, or for Jesus to be a son, is if Allah has a wife. And since you're saying Jesus is a son, that means Mary is his wife and Mary is a god. That's what the Quran is accusing us of. Obviously, you think that's nonsense, right? Do you believe that? Why should, why should God need a wife to have a son? You're telling me the all-powerful, sovereign, eternal God cannot have an eternal son without having sex? I mean, where do you get this logic? Because Muhammad was carnal. When the Bible says that these are spiritual and the natural man cannot accept them, they're foolishness to him, Muhammad is proof that Paul is right. Because Muhammad was a natural, carnal son of Satan. And he couldn't accept spiritual truths and realities. And by the way, when I'm speaking freely about Muhammad, that doesn't mean you say that to the Muslims. You don't go up to the Muslims and say, well, your prophet is a son of Satan. If you want to end the conversation, then you do that. Right? Do not be unnecessarily offensive. If the gospel offends, that's fine. Make sure your personality doesn't get involved. Let the gospel be an offense, not you. So if you want to win a Muslim to Christ, you've got to show them. That doesn't mean you be wimpy. I'm not saying be wimpy. You can speak the truth, but you don't have to present in a way that will be unnecessarily offensive. You know, Muhammad is the son of Satan. Well, we know that. They don't. They're blind. They need the light of Christ to see that. And once they accept the light of Christ, then they will say, man, this guy was the child of Satan. But present the gospel and don't raise up unnecessary objections that will hinder them from believing the gospel. Now let's go to chapter 9, verses 30 to 31. Look what it says here. The Jews say, Uzair, and by the way, if you want to know who Uzair is, it's Ezra the prophet. This is talking about the Jews and Christians at the time of Muhammad. The Jews say, Ezra is the son of Allah. And the Christians say, the Messiah is the son of Allah. Now the Quran is recording the speech of the Christians. Let's assume this is an accurate record of Muhammad's encounters with uh, with Christians and Jews. Because it's saying, this is what they're saying to Muhammad. Notice that according to the Quran, the Christians and Jews who speak Arabic, they're using the Arabic word Allah to describe their God. In fact, you have the Arabic in transliteration. I can't reach it there, but if you look at translation, you see it says, Allahi, Ibn Allahi. You see it there? You got it, Pastor. Thank you. Do You see, if this is an accurate depiction of the conversation that Christians are having with Muhammad, this tells you that there are Arabic Christians speaking Arabic and they're saying to Muhammad, Jesus is Ibn Allah. Ibn Allah means the son of Allah. So they don't have a problem using the word Allah. Notice it? But what does Muhammad say to them? These are the words of their mouths. They imitate the saying of those who disbelieve before. You are a disbeliever for saying that Jesus is the son of God. See how Muslims view you? And note it has a lot to say about Christians, Right? Because Muhammad is trying to convert Jews and Christians and pagans. And they're bringing challenges against him. How can you be a prophet after Jesus when you're contradicting the message of Jesus? And his assertion is, Jesus never taught that. Jesus never said he's the son of God. You are a disbeliever. You're putting words in the mouth of Jesus. That's what Muhammad believed. And we know he's wrong. But anyway, you see, son of Allah, these are the words of their mouths. They imitate the saying of those who disbelieved before. May Allah destroy them. Allahu Akbar. See what the Quran says? Allah will do to us. Destroy us. By the way, this is one of the last chapters of the Quran. This is a chapter that Muhammad composed shortly before he died. These are Muhammad's final marching orders. Before he died, he told the community, this is what I want you to do. This chapter is all about jihad. He's telling his Muslim followers, I'm going to die. These are the orders from Allah. You are to fight the Jews and Christians and subjugate them until Islam becomes supreme. That's the context. And he's inciting them emotionally. Now imagine you're a Muslim and the prophet of Allah, they believe he's a prophet, is telling you, man, do you believe what the Christians are saying? God has a son. Allah, fight them! What do you think that's doing to them? What do you think they're going to feel towards you? If they believe that book, they'll have nothing but hate and venom in their hearts towards you. However, they're outnumbered in the West. So they can't subjugate you. So they're going to give you another face of Islam. The kind, smiley face. Oh, yeah, we love you. Yeah, All religions are one. You know, Abraham believed in the same God. We believe. And let's just all get along. That's the face they put on until Allah gives them the might. And then you're going to see the true face of Islam. But the good news is, Jesus sits enthroned as king of kings. Islam will never dethrone the king. He has already won the victory. On Calvary, when he left the tomb empty, praise his name. Let's read 31. Now I'm going to contrast this with Christianity. Now watch. They have taken their doctors of law and their monks, meaning rabbis and, and the monks. So speaking to Jews and Christians again. This is telling the Muslims why you should fight them. Look how nasty these people are. They even take their rabbis, doctors of law, and their monks for lords besides Allah. They also take the Messiah, son of Maryam. Here it's saying Christians are so wicked, they believe Jesus is their Lord. Do you believe Jesus is Lord? According to the Quran, Allah will curse you, fight you, humiliate you and subjugate you if Muslims have their way. So according to the Quran, you believe Jesus is God, the Son of God, He's your Lord? You have committed blasphemy of blasphemies. Let's see what the Quran says about Allah having a son. Chapter 19, Pastor, if you don't mind. Verses 88 to 93. You see how evil this religion is? How anti-Christian this religion is? How much it hates the true Jesus and his gospel and his church? They don't love your Jesus. They love their Jesus, which is a deception foisted on them by Satan. That's what the New Testament says, right? And I'll show you where the New Testament says, be careful. Satan wants to rob you of your spiritual virginity. Paul says that, and I'll show you. How? Paul tells us how Satan tries to do that. He's going to present another Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. And he tells the church, and you put up with it easily. Don't you understand that's Satan's way of robbing you of your spiritual virginity? Because Paul says, I have presented you as a virgin to one husband. Don't you go and fornicate on me. And how do you fornicate spiritually? By putting up with another Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. And that's what Islam is doing. It's trying to rape us spiritually. I know I'm using harsh words, but hey, i got to call a spade a spade, right? Chapter 19, Pastor, verses 88 to 93. If you scroll down to 88, we'll pick it up from there. If if I mispronounce I I apologize. 88 to 93. Let's see what it says. By the way, if you want that reference from Paul, 2 Corinthians 11, 2 to 4. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 2 to 4. And then write this as well. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 to 15. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 and 15. And you know what's interesting about that before I read this? He goes on and says that they're false apostles. And you know what Muhammad's, uh, one of Muhammad's titles is in Arabic? In fact, in order to be a Muslim, you must say this in Arabic La ilaha illallah. There is no deity but Allah. La ilah, no deity. Illallah, only Allah. Wa Muhammad, Rasul Allah. The word Rasul means messenger, apostle. So in order for you to be a Muslim, you must say, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his apostle messenger. Paul says that there will be false apostles masquerading as righteous servants. And then he says, no wonder. Don't be surprised that a false apostle will come and give the appearance of being righteous and holy. That's just an appearance, a facade. Because even Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Why are you you surprised that his servants, his children, also masquerade as righteous servants? That's what Paul says. Interestingly, Muhammad claimed to be visited by an angel. And he thought he was demon-possessed. Who was that angel? We'll talk about that in a minute. But let's read chapter 19, verses 88 to 93. We'll read Shaker. They say the beneficent, meaning the most merciful, al-Rahman, has taken to himself a son. And this is not just referring to Jesus, it's referring to you. Do you believe that by the grace of God, when you believe in Jesus, you became a blood bought child of God? Quran says that is blasphemy. How dare you say you are a child of Allah or God? Because they believe Allah of the Quran is the God of the Bible. This is why they're trying to convert you, because they believe Allah of the Quran is your God, whether you believe it or not, or like it or not. And then it says, certainly you have made an abominable assertion. See that? Now a Muslim reads this. So when you go and say Jesus loved you so much that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, died for you, they have these verses in their minds. Astaghfirullah. Oh my goodness. What did he just say? Allahu Akbar. How could he say that? Because this is what they hear daily. It is an abomination to say Allah has a son. How can you say Jesus is a son when he was a Muslim prophet? See what you're up against? But he that is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You don't run from the battle. You run to the battle and take captive Muslims for Jesus Christ, the conquering king. Don't let this discourage you, man. Christ said that we are the church militant. And in heaven, we will receive our eternal rest. So don't take it easy here, man. You, take, you get the, all the rest you want when you're in glory. You'll have all eternity to rest. There's one thing you can't do in heaven that you'll be doing here is evangelizing people, right? Who are you going to preach the gospel to in heaven, Paul? Abraham, they're all saved, man. All you're going to do is worship in Jesus and enjoying Him. So do the very thing now. If you really love Jesus with all your heart, don't you want everyone to worship Him? Is He he not worthy of the worship of every creature? But God says, if you really believe that, then you are My hands and feet and go bring them to Me. You really believe I'm worthy of the worship of every creature? What are you doing to present the Gospel, to take them captive so they can worship Me? So if you really love him, then give him the honor and the reward of his suffering. And what is the reward of his suffering? He purchased the world with his blood. So go and claim his reward. This is what I wrought on the cross, the salvation of the world. Go and claim my reward for me if you love me. Praise his holy name. And we do love him. The heavens may almost be rent thereat. Even the heavens, when they hear that Allah has a son, they are torn asunder. Did you notice that? And this translation says, whereby the heavens are almost torn. And the earth is split asunder, and the mountains fall in ruins. Why? Because you ascribe a son to the most beneficent. You see how evil and horrendous a blasphemy it is to say that God has a son? And then let's just jump to 93 for the sake of time. 93. What's the highest revelation uh, or relationship, I'm sorry, a Muslim can have with Allah? The highest relationship is a slave to a master. There is no one in the heavens and the earth but will come to the beneficent God as a servant, a slave. The highest relationship you can have with Allah of Muhammad is you're a slave. What did Jesus say if you're a slave or servant? Amen. But who abides in it forever? The Son. And if the Son. Sets you free, you shall be free indeed. We don't want to be slaves. We want to be children of God. But that comes by believing in Jesus Christ. Not the Jesus of Islam, but the Jesus of the New Testament, who's the Jesus of history. So this gives you an idea of what Muslims believe about Allah and Jesus, right? Let me add some more details about Jesus and put it in context. We'll talk a little bit about the Bible and then how to present the gospel effectively. Not only is Jesus not God, he's not the Son of God, he's not Lord, he wasn't Killed on the cross. That's what the Quran says. Chapter 4 of the Quran, verses 157 to 158. It almost seems like Islam defines itself by attacking Christianity, right? seems that this religion is defined by its attack on Christianity. It cannot exist without attacking Christianity. Chapter 4, verse 157 to 158. Let's read Shakir's translation. Uh, No, let's actually read Hilali Khan. One thing good about this translation, Hilali Khan, is that they insert comments in parentheses and brackets to try to explain to you the traditional conservative interpretation of the Quran. So they're providing a commentary in the parentheses. Sometimes they distort it. Sometimes they're telling you this is the view. Now, let's read Halali khan Because of their saying, this is speaking of the Jews. Again, the Jews are in debate with Muhammad. And they told Muhammad, we killed Messiah, and I want you to catch this name. Did you see that? Esau? Don't forget... The Arabic name of Jesus is Asa. Don't forget that. Remember. Asa. You can also spell it I-S-A. So Asa ibn Maryam. We killed Messiah Isa, son of Maryam, Mary, the messenger of Allah. But they killed him not, nor crucified him. A denial of the crucifixion. But the resemblance... Now again, if you want a more literal translation, just look with me at Yusuf Ali and we'll come back here. The literal translation says... But so it was made to appear to them. They didn't kill him or crucify him, but it appeared as if they did. Here they give you the explanation. But the resemblance of Isa was put over another man, and they killed that man. Let me explain what they mean by this. One of the oldest interpretations of this passage goes something like this. Goes something like this. And if I smile, it's not I'm smiling because I'm trying to mock Islam. I'm smiling at how evil... And filthy, this religion is like, I'm smiling, like shock, wow. What an evil religion. And these people are under the bondage of this evil spirit. So they're not the enemies. The spirit that's taken them captive is the enemy. Put in perspective, they're humans that need Jesus. Because at one time, you too belong to the spirit. The prince of the power of air, the spirit that's at work in the children of disobedience. You too were under bondage, and Jesus set you free. That's how you have to view them. They're humans, they need Jesus. They're under the power of Satan, but Christ is greater than Satan and he's crushed the head of the serpent. Let me give you the, one of the oldest interpretations. On the night of Jesus' betrayal, what happened? Christian perspective, what happened on the night of his betrayal? What happened? He was having the Lord's Supper and then what happened? He went to Gethsemane, right? And Judas came and sold him. Okay, so the Christian story is he had the Lord's Supper, he instituted the Lord's Supper, went to the Garden of Gethsemane prayed. Judas comes and sells him out. And they take Jesus to the cross. Willingly he went. Because Jesus says, no one can take my life away from me. Praise his name. And he proved it. We'll talk about it a little more. According to the Islamic version, on the night of his betrayal, he was in the upper room and he told his disciples who were present, which of you volunteers to look like me and die in my place, I will guarantee him paradise. You guys hear me? Jesus is asking which of the disciples will look like him. Well, how how are they going to look like him? Allah is going to make a disciple look exactly like Jesus. So that they will kill that person while Jesus escapes to heaven. And exactly what happened. The youngest of them said, Oh, Isa, I volunteer to look like you and die in your place if you guarantee me paradise. He goes, go ahead. And Gabriel opened up a roof in, a hole in the roof, I'm sorry, and then took Jesus to heaven. And that disciple miraculously was changed to look like Jesus. So when they went in, they thought it was Jesus and they killed him. Now you understand what this means. But the resemblance of Isa was put over another man. Allah made another man look like Jesus and they killed the look-alike. So Jesus didn't die in your place. Someone died in Jesus' place. Jesus didn't take your place on the cross. Someone took Jesus' place on the cross. Are you with me? Do you get any more Antichrist than this? Let me give you the final, final point to show you. This is the most wicked antichrist system. Remember what John says. It is the last hour and the antichrist will come into the world. Then he says, many antichrists have gone in the world. That's 1 John 2.18. And then he tells us what an antichrist is. I'm going to show you that this, for now, until the antichrist shows up, this is the most antichrist religion in the world. Do you see that name, Isa? Don't forget it. Ask any Arabic-speaking Christian, uh, by the grace of God, you're going to meet them. When you meet them, born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, loved Jesus Christ, ask them, say, brother, can you tell me what is Jesus' Arabic name? What is his name in Arabic? You read the New Testament, his name is Yeshua. Let me tell you how to spell that. Y-A-S-U-A. Yeshua. Yeshua. el Messiah. Yeshua. Yeshua is the Arabic equivalent of Jesus' Hebrew name. What is Jesus' Hebrew name? Yeshua. And Yeshua means what? Yahweh is salvation. Exactly, Pastor. Was that you, Pastor, in the back? Amen. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Jehovah saves, right? Well, wait. The Arabic equivalent of his name is Yeshua. It's not Asa. Do you know Asa is actually the Arabic form of Asa's name? Jacob's brother, the one rejected by God? Till this day, people are baffled. Why did Muhammad call him Asa? When that's actually the Arabic form of Asa's name, Jacob's twin brother. The one who sold his birthright. And when he sought repentance, couldn't find it because he had gone to the point of no return, right? Why in the world would the Quran give him the name of an accursed one? Because the spirit who inspired Muhammad. Making the connections? So what is the antichrist according to 1 John 2:22 to 23? Let's look at it. As the pastor goes to 1 John 2:22 to 23, let me again summarize what the Quran says about Jesus. He's not God, he's not the son of God, he didn't die on the cross, right? And he has a name of one who is accursed, Isa as opposed to Yeshua. Let's see if Muhammad and his Quran fits the criterion of antichrist in 1 John 2:22 to 23. Who is the liar? Now the Muslims say, well, we're not liars. We believe Jesus is the Christ. You can't be a Muslim if you don't believe Jesus is the Christ. And that he was born of the Virgin Mary. And he was a miracle worker. They all believe all that. And I'll just say something about the second coming. Because it's very relevant to our discussion. Such a man is the Antichrist who what? The father and the son. Is Allah the Quran a father to anyone? Is Jesus his son? So Muhammad denies God. The fatherhood of God and the divine sonship of Jesus? So who is Muhammad according to John? The Antichrist. So he had the spirit of Antichrist inspiring him. Now you see why the Quran attacks the gospel of Jesus Christ. No wonder. For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Second Corinthians 11.14 Let me quickly give you the little history about Muhammad. Quickly. So you can see this man. You can see how evil this religion is. But you got the gospel that can destroy the power of Satan. Right? you got the weapons of God. No one can defeat you if you're walking in the armor of God. But notice what I said. If you are walking in the armor of God. If. If you're prayed up. And you have the truth. And you have the helmet of salvation. And you have the shield of faith not moved. You know you have the truth and you have no doubt. And you're shodding your feet with the gospel of peace. What does that mean to shod your feet? It means going out there and preaching the gospel. How sweet are the feet that bring good news. Huh? If you're prayed up and you got the arm of God, you can never be defeated. In fact, what's ironic, the world thinks if a Christian dies for his faith, he loses. That's actually the guarantee that you are victorious. How did they defeat the accuser of our brethren, Revelation 12, 10 to 11? They did not love their life that they shrunk back from death. They died for Jesus as a proof that Satan couldn't defeat them. When you die for the gospel of Christ, that's the proof that he who was in you was greater than Satan who tried to keep you away from the Lord. So when we die, that's victory. That's not a loss. Let me talk a little bit about Muhammad to see what he claimed. Muslims claim that when Muhammad was 40 years old, let me give you the date. He was born 570 A.D., about 570 years after the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, roughly. At the age of 40, so 610 A.D., Muhammad was meditating in the Hira Mountains. Now, if you want to know what the Hira Mountains is, get a map, look at Saudi Arabia. The Hira Mountains is in Saudi Arabia. Muhammad was born in Mecca. It's still there in Saudi Arabia. So you look at a map, you'll, map, you'll see these places. It was this custom every year during the month of Ramadan. When did you encounter the Muslims? At the end of the Ramadan, right? If you're, if you, maybe you didn't know it. They were fasting that month, and you happened to catch them when their fast ended. Muslims have to fast one month in the month of Ramadan. Muhammad was already fasting in the month of Ramadan. But during this time, Muhammad was a pagan and his family were pagans who worshipped 360 gods. And yet they were fasting the month of Ramadan. Why would Muslims celebrate a fast observed by pagans? Because most of Islam comes from paganism. He took the pagan practices of his family, repackaged them and claimed these are practices That Allah revealed through Abraham. That's what they're taught. They're deceived. But you have the truth. You don't know. Abraham didn't reveal these pagan practices. But he's fasting in Ramadan. He's all by himself in the cave. And all of a sudden, according to the sources of Islam, and all this information is on the website. The Spirit comes to him and says in Arabic, Iqra. Iqra. I want you to remember that word, Iqra. I-Q-R-A. Here's the reason why I want you to remember it. Lord willing, this Saturday you go on divan. When you get to the Divan in California area, Pastor Joe knows the area, you're going to see a huge Muslim bookstore. Did you guys see it when you are there? It's on the main street of Divan, and it says, Iqra. That's what it says. Why does it call itself Iqra? Because that was the first word the Spirit told Muhammad. Iqra. What does Iqra mean? It means read or recite. So he told Muhammad in Arabic, read or recite. According to the sources, Muhammad said, I can't read. He was supposedly illiterate, right? And then it says the spirit grabbed Muhammad and squeezed him so hard that he felt he was going to die. The spirit start, started violating Muhammad, squeezing him to the point Muhammad thought he was going to die. Spirit lets him go. Spirit again says, Ikrah. Again, Muhammad this time is shivering with fear. He's afraid. And this is according to the sources that Muslims wrote, not Christians. And again he says, I can't read. The spirit again squeezes him. Just as hard as the first time. And Muhammad's response was, I felt as if I was going to die, that he was going to kill me. Let him go the second time. Third time he says, Iqra. Muhammad again says, I don't know how to read. He does it a third time. The Spirit tortures him three times. The fourth time, then he tells them, Iqra, read. And he gave them the first three verses of chapter 96 of the Quran. Muslims will tell you, the first verses... That the Spirit revealed to Muhammad verses that became the Quran. I, I don't know if you have a Quran here. Chapter 96, verses 103. And there you're going to see it says, Read in the name of your Lord. Ikra. It says it even in the Quranic text. Chapter 96, verses 103. You know what Muhammad's initial reaction was? It says he woke. It supposedly happened in a dream. He woke and he said to himself, By God, I am demon possessed. And he went to commit suicide. He ran to throw himself off the cliff. The spirit appeared, No, no, Muhammad! You're the messenger of Allah and I am Gabriel who has come to you. The spirit says he's Gabriel. Jibreel in Arabic. Muhammad still didn't believe him. He still didn't think it was a righteous, pure spirit. So he came shivering to his wife. The testimony says that when he came to his wife, he was shivering. And he told his wife, Cover me! Because he was freaked out of his mind. The experience traumatized him. And so then the wife said, what's going on, Muhammad? What, what happened? He says to her, I think I'm demon-possessed. He says it again. She goes, by God, that can't happen, Muhammad. Allah would not allow that to happen to you. You're a good man. You know, you help the poor and the needy and you're charitable. No way can you be demon-possessed. You know what she did? She took him to a Christian monk. Her first cousin was a Christian monk. In fact, Pastor, I am going to have... To, uh, let, uh, Tell you navigate a little bit, apologize. Go to Islamic awareness.org. I want them to see it for themselves so they don't think. It's Islamic awareness. Okay, and I'm gonna show you how to get to this awareness to A W A R E E S S dot O R G. I hope I didn't get myself confused. Okay. Okay, now do me a favor, Pastor, scroll down. Click on what's new. This is a Muslim website. Click on resources, resources. If you go here, you're going to find that many of these traditions I'm mentioning, click on Islamic resources, are online for free. Most Muslims don't follow the Quran alone. You see where it says right here, Ahadith? These are the most authentic collection of narrations that every Sunni Muslim must read to understand the Quran and Muhammad's life better. Click on Revelation. Now let's see the story for yourself. Scroll down to number three. Number three. Okay. Right there. All right. Excellent. Okay. Now, let's go here. Khadijah takes his food. Likewise. Okay. The angel came to him and asked him to read. The prophet replied, I don't know how to read. The prophet added, the angel caught me forcefully and pressed me so hard that I could not bear it anymore. Do you see these are his own words? Scroll down slowly, uh, uh, Pastor. Just slowly. Slowly. Okay. Number three. Oh, it's too Sorry. It just got real big. Okay. Slow down a little bit. A little more. Okay. Then he went to Khadijah bin Khuwaylid. That's his wife. And said, cover me, cover me. Do you see it? They covered him till his fear was over and after he had told her everything that had happened and said, I fear that something may happen to me. Another report says, I fear I'm demon possessed. Never! By Allah! Allah will never disgrace you. So she's comforting him. Then here, this part here, Khadijah then accompanied him to her cousin Waraka bin Nofal bin Asad bin Abdul Uzza. Long name, I know, but hey. What are you going to do? Who during the pre-Islamic period became a Christian. Before Islam spread, he became a Christian. And used to write the writing with Hebrew letters. He was able to read and write Hebrew. He would write from the Gospel in Hebrew as much as Allah wished him to write. He was an old man and had lost his eyesight. Khadijah said to Waraka, Listen to the story of your nephew, O oh, my cousin. Hear him out. See what happened to him. Now notice what he says. What asked, O oh, my nephew, what have you seen? Allah's apostle described whatever he had seen. Waraqa said, now notice, this is the same one who keeps the secrets whom Allah had sent to Moses. I wish I were young and could live up to the time when your people would turn you out. Allah's apostle said, will they drive me out? Waraqa replied in the affirmative, said, anyone who came with something similar to what you have brought was treated with hostility. Notice he confirms to Muhammad, That the same spirit that came to Moses has come to you. Muhammad, you are a prophet. A Christian is the one who started Islam. Read it. Muhammad was doubting. He thought he was demon-possessed. Who convinced him he wasn't? Waraka. The same secrets. Angel Gabriel whom Allah sent to Moses. He's come to you. You're a prophet like Moses. I believe if you guys were there, you would have laid hands on him and delivered him from the demon. And you would have preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you? That's what you saw? Hold on, let me lay hands. In the name of Jesus, come out of him. Come out, I I bind you up by the authority of Jesus Christ. This monk deceived Muhammad into thinking he was a prophet and therefore foisted Islam on the world. Put it in context. What did Paul say? Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Who do you think came to Muhammad claiming to be the angel Gabriel? Is it a surprise that Islam is so anti-Christian? Is it a surprise that Muhammad would call Jesus by the name of the cursed one? What do you think inspired him to say that? The one who hates Jesus and his gospel. See, Satan doesn't care whether you're religious. See, a lot of people think Satanism is to worship Satan. He don't care whether you believe he exists or not. Just don't worship Jesus. The true Jesus, he's okay with it. He's okay with you being a Buddhist. He's okay with you being a traditional dead Christian, not regenerated. He's okay with you being a Muslim, but don't be a born-again, spirit-filled slave of Jesus Christ. He doesn't care. In fact, you know what Satanism really is? If you study Genesis 3 carefully, did Satan say, come and worship me? Or did he entice them to worship themselves by being their own gods, disregarding the command of God? God knows that in the day you eat of it, you shall be like God. Satanism is the worship of self, putting your interest ahead of God's. That's Satanism. Don't worship God. Worship yourself and follow your own desires. Even if your desires contradict the will of God. And you know what? With that said, we got a lot of Satanists in the church, don't we? Put their interests ahead of God. And I'm not saying any of you. God forbid. Filled with the Spirit, sealed by the Spirit. But that's what the pastor was saying. When some of you don't come to prayer, who do you think, whose will you're putting ahead? God's will or your own will? Ain't that Satanism? When he tells you, come, we need to pray, church. We need to pray for revival and repentance. And everyone has to be accounted for. And you say, well, not today. I'm feeling tired. I'm just going to do what I want. That's Satanism. Do what you want, when you want, and disregard the will of God. So be careful. Do not be deceived. There's many Satanists in our midst, and they don't even know it. But this gives you an idea of who inspired Muhammad. Now, with that said, you guys ready for the objections? Pastor, you want me to take a little break? I don't know how you arrange it. Uh, Do you take? Okay. Let me know when you guys want to take a break because I know some of you may want to stretch out, go to the bathroom. Let me know. Believe me, I can stay till 5 in the morning. I'm not lying. Pastor Joe can do the same thing. He knows. When he comes, you know, I'm the fire, he's dynamite. I light him up and he explodes. I'm bringing revival to the land. Amen? All right. Let's talk about some of the objections. But you know what? I think I do need to talk about the second coming of Christ. I don't want to talk too much about Islam. But you need a context to work with, right? Let me just say something about what they believe about Jesus. Most Muslims believe Jesus is coming back. You're not the only ones waiting for Jesus to return. Are you aware of this? If you go to the Muslim bookstore, they even have a book by Harun Yahya talking about the return of Jesus from a Muslim perspective. That's, that's in that Muslim bookstore. If you go to the go to the back, ask them for Harun Yahya and his book on the return of Jesus. Muslims believe Jesus is going to come back because they believe that Allah took him physically bodily into heaven and then Allah will send him physically bodily at the end of the age. To do what? To kill the Antichrist. Muhammad taught his followers, Antichrist will come. And he described what the Antichrist would do and how he looked. And he says to the Muslims, don't follow the Antichrist because Jesus will come and kill him. So they're waiting for the Antichrist to show up and they're waiting for Jesus to come down and kill him. Sounds like what we believe, right? But this is what they believe Jesus will do when he comes. Not only will he kill the Antichrist. You know, Jesus will destroy every cross he sees. He's going to kill every pig in his sight. And he's going to abolish something called the jizya. In fact, let's turn to the Quran, Pastor 9.29, to see what the jizya is. What is the jizya? So you get an idea of what it is. Chapter 9, verse 29. Hopefully when we talk about the rewards of Islam later, you're going to be even more disgusted at this religion. It makes Playboy Mansion look righteous. No exaggeration. Chapter 9, verse 29. Fight against those who believe not in Allah, nor in the last day. Do you guys believe all of the Quran is your God? Remember, you can use the same term, doesn't mean it has to be the same God. If Allah of the Quran is not the Father, He's not the Son, and He's not the Holy Spirit. In Islamic theology, the Holy Spirit is Angel Gabriel. They even deny the Holy Spirit. If you ask a Muslim, who's the Holy Spirit? Oh, that's Angel Gabriel. He's not God. He's not the third person of the Godhead. So deny the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So is Allah of Muhammad your God? So, But it says, if you don't believe in Allah, Muslims have to fight you. That's what it says. Read it. Am I making it up? Fight against those who believe not in Allah. You just told me you don't believe in Muhammad's Allah. The Quran says to Muslims, you better fight them. Nor in the last day. See, Muslims must believe in the last day. A day of judgment and resurrection. And then people who are wicked will go to hell. People righteous will go to paradise. But you guys believe in the last day, right? You don't believe in the Islamic last day. And here's why. I have the quotations. I brought it. You can find the material on the website. Muhammad says that if you stand before Allah in judgment, and Allah is pleased with your faith and your works, you've done enough works to please Allah, to paradise you will go. Once there, and sisters, I apologize, but I want you to see how disgusting this religion is. Allah has huris, specially created maiden maidens, with swelling breasts that the men will deflower for all eternity. That's what the Quran says, you will deflower them. Meaning they're virgins. You sleep with them, take away their virginity, and then they become virgins so you can take their virginity over and over and over again for all eternity. Amen. Jesus is Lord. One guy asked Muhammad, in fact, according to the tradition, you'll have at least 70 of these Huris, maidens. One tradition says every man will have 70,000 of them. So for all eternity, you're going to be sleeping and deflowering virgins for all eternity, and that's your pleasure. And with the rivers of wine, the Quran says you'll be drinking wine, drinking milk, drinking water fruits. You're going to have young boys, youths serving you. Beautiful looking young boy serving you in paradise. That's what the Quran says. One man, Muslim man, told Muhammad, How is it possible that in paradise we can sleep with so many women? How is it possible? Because he's thinking worldly, right? I'm on the world. I can't do that. I can't sleep with 70 women in a day. I can't. I don't have the stamina. You know what Muhammad said? He goes, By God, Allah will give you the sex drive of 100 men so you can have eternal erections. Allahu Akbar. I'm not lying. I had to tell you because I want you to be utterly disgusted with this religion. I'm sorry for being graphic. I needed to so you can see how wicked and filthy this religion is. What is the heaven in the paradise of a Christian? My heaven is not sleeping with women. My heaven is worshipping Jesus and basking in His infinite love and joy. You're going to tell me sex can compare to being in the presence of Jesus and being filled with His infinite love? You're telling me sex cannot do that? You but you you must be out of your stinking mind. But they don't know Jesus. This is all they know. Carnal fleshly desires. So you don't believe in the last day of Islam, do you? What is Paul saying in Romans fourteen seventeen? The kingdom of God is not food or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Doesn't mean we're not going to share a meal with the Lord, because Jesus said we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. He goes I will not drink of this cup again until I drink it anew with you in the kingdom. But Paul is saying it's not all about that. You know what's it about? Being with Jesus. If I have the Lord's Supper in heaven without Jesus, that's not heaven. This is what I said earlier. Heaven for the believers to be with Jesus. If you're looking for rewards, then you've got to ask God to change your heart. My reward is to be with Jesus. I don't care about my ranks. Not that I don't want to do my utmost for His highest. But when I do my utmost, I want to make sure I'm doing it for His glory, not for what He can give me. Because he's worthy. So we don't believe in the last day of Islam. Nor forbid that which has been for forbidden by Allah and his messenger. Whatever Muhammad said, don't do. If you keep doing it, Muslims must fight you. And it even says, fight those who acknowledge not the religion of truth. If you don't believe Islam is true, Muslims must fight you. Even if they're among the people of the scripture. The Quran calls Jews and Christians people of scripture because the Quran recognizes that Jews and Christians receive books from Allah, because they think Allah is the God of the Bible. It says, even fight them until when? They pay the jizya with willing submission and feel themselves subdued. In other words, if, Ma- if Muslims conquer America, you Christians would be given three choices. <clears throat> Become a Muslim. You don't want to be a Muslim? You want to stay Christian? You, you better pay the jizya, sum of money. You don't pay the jizya, we kill you, take your women and rape them and enslave your children. So these are the three choices you have. And in Islam, they're allowed to rape women, even if they're married, in the presence of their husbands, and then sell them off as property. That's in the Quran and the Hadiths. So those are the three options. You want to stay a Christian? You better pay the jizya. If not, if we kill you, we're going to take your women. And in Islam, you can marry girls who haven't even reached puberty. You know that? That's in the Quran, chapter 65, verse 4. We won't turn there yet, but let me give you a story about Muhammad. Muhammad was 51 years old. Let me tell you a story about this filthy man. Muhammad was 51 years old, and he told his best friend, Abu Bakr, he goes, I want to marry your daughter. You know how old his daughter was? She was 6 years old, and he was 51. Abu Bakr, his best friend, said, but Muhammad, you're my brother. He goes, yes, we're brothers in the religion. However, she's lawful for me to get married. Okay, you want my daughter? You can have her. Muhammad wrote the contract at six. She was nine years old, the reports say. She was still playing on swings and with dolls. It says on the day when Muhammad came to consummate the marriage, she was playing with swings. She came. She was out of breath. Her mother prepped her. Muhammad was sitting down. She sat on Muhammad's lap. He took her by the hand with her dolls in her hands, took her home, and had sex with the nine-year-old when he was 54 years old. If Islam takes over America, they're going to take your young daughters and do the same to them. You see how filthy this religion is. Right? And it's not just a the danger theologically. It's a danger politically, socially, and economically. Because Islam takes over everything. Socially, it takes over. It, can, it tells you how to do business. It even tells you how to go to the bathroom. Islam leaves nothing up to you. It even tells you how to go to the bathroom. I'm not lying to you. You've got to use your left hand. You can't use your right hand. And we're going to use toilet paper, you got to use odd number of toilet paper. You can't use even number. You can't use two sheets. you got to use three, one, five, seven. Odd number. That's what Islam says. It dictates every aspect of your life. So, you pay the jizya if you want to live as a Christian under Islam. So then why is Jesus going to abolish the jizya when he comes? Because it says when he comes, he's going to abolish it. Why is he going to do that? Because when Jesus comes, there will be no more non-Muslims. Everyone must become a Muslim. That's why there'll be no more jizya. Because jizya is taken from who? Jews and Christians. Well, if there are no more Jews and Christians, where are you going to take jizya from? Can't take it from anybody, right? Because Jesus is going to mandate everyone must become a Muslim. Why is he going to destroy every cross he sees? Does Islam deny the crucifixion? Yeah, we just read it. it. says he didn't die on the cross. When Jesus destroys the cross, he's attacking Christianity, saying, you Christians created a religion after me. And you said things about me that are not true. And this is what I think of your Christianity. That's what Jesus is going to do. Why do you think he's going to kill all the pigs? Because in the name of Jesus, all foods are lawful, right? So you can have a sausage pizza, right? But when Jesus comes says, How dare you start eating pig meat when I never told you to break the law of Moses? So he's going to be attacking Christianity by killing all the pigs, destroying every cross, and abolishing the jizya. So Jesus is not the Lord of the church. He's a Muslim follower of Muhammad. That's whom they're waiting for. And then he's going to judge for 40 years on the earth. Jesus is going to get married to a good Muslim woman. Muhammad told his followers when Jesus comes, he's going to marry a Muslim woman. And he's going to have two sons from her. Can you imagine our Lord having sexual intimacy with a woman? That's what Muhammad taught. And he's going to have two sons, Muhammad and Moses, named after the prophet Moses and the prophet Muhammad, who's not a prophet but a child of Satan. And then Jesus is going to die. And guess where they're going to bury him? In Medina, which is in Saudi Arabia. Muhammad's grave is there. Next to him is a grave that's empty that Muslims are waiting to bury Jesus in when he dies. That's the Jesus they're waiting for. Is it your Jesus? That's why Paul says, if someone comes and presents another Jesus or a different gospel or a different spirit, you put up with it easily. And this is how Satan wants to seduce you from your spiritual virginity. That's the Islamic Jesus. Now with that said, let's get into some of the discussion. You guys ready? You positive? You ain't tired yet? Come on, man. You got a good group of students here. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's talk about the objections. Okay. Now you saw that the Muslims don't believe Jesus is God, the Son of God. He didn't die on the cross. So why not just quote the Bible and show them that the Bible teaches all these truths, right? Easy, right? Not so easy, because the Muslims will tell you that although God, our God, gave the prophets books, because the Quran says that Allah gave Moses a book to give to the children of Israel. The Quran says that Jesus was given the gospel, the Injil. That's why you went out saying we have the Injil, right, Pastor? You're saying we got the Injil. Why do you think he was using the Arabic term Injil? Because the Quran calls the gospel the Injil. So that's what he was saying. Here we got the gospel of Isa, the Injil. Here it is. And what was the reaction? That's not the gospel. You changed it. They believe that if the Bible wasn't corrupted, it would agree with Islamic theology. Why? Because Muhammad said all the prophets of the Bible were Muslims. Their religion was Islam. They believed exactly like I did. So the Muslim comes to the Bible and says, Wait, that don't sound like Islam. It sounds like Christianity. But our prophet said that the book that Jesus passed to his community... Agrees perfectly with the theology of our prophet. But it doesn't. Oh, you Christians must have corrupted his message. This is what they're gonna tell you. You corrupted the message. Now how do you deal with that objection? How do you get over that hurdle? Are you aware that Muhammad, the Quran, says that your Bible is the uncorrupt word of God, the word that you're supposed to turn to to determine whether Muhammad is a fake? Are you ready? Are you ready? Come on. You guys ready? Okay, go to the website, Pastor, because I want to show them the link. Instead of because these Quran perversions, they change it. Go to the website. Go on the main page if you can. The main page. <clears throat> All right. Go to where it says, uh, where does it say the Quran? It says something about uh, the Quran. Okay, click there. When you go to our main page, you're going to see it says Quran. You click on it. Now scroll down. You're going to see a section right there. It says what the Quran says about the Bible. You see it right there? You click on that, we have over a dozen articles quoting the Quran and the narrations showing that Muhammad and the first followers of Muhammad all believed your Bible is the uncorrupt Word of God. So anytime a Muslim attacks your Bible, say, hey man, thank you for proving that Muhammad is a false prophet. What do you mean? Your prophet thought my Bible is true, but you're saying he's wrong. You understand? Because if they say the Bible is wrong and yet Muhammad believed it was right, that means Muhammad must be wrong. But they can't say that, can they? If they say Muhammad is wrong, they're no longer a Muslim. So they're going to have to say, no, then he is right. Your Bible is good. But if my Bible is good, Muhammad is still wrong because he contradicts it. You're in a no-win situation. This is what I call Islamic Dilemma 101. Let's see what Muhammad said about the Scriptures. You see that Hadith that says Muhammad and the Torah, Pastor? Muhammad and Torah, if you can click on it. It's right there. I think it's the fourth from the top. One, two, three, fifth, I think. Okay, yes. Let's see what Muhammad said about the Torah in his day. Sunan Abu Dawud, book 38. And this is, a, this is a collection of narrations. Remember, most Muslims don't follow the Quran alone. They follow the traditions known as the Hadith. If they see that you know the Hadith, they'll be very impressed with you. Say, man, you've been studying my religion. And they'll be impressed. Like, wow, you've taken the time to study my religion? Yeah, because that's how much I love you. I've taken the time to know your religion to show you the truth of Jesus. They'll be impressed. Provided you're able to present in the spirit of love and not just say, Muhammad, is this and this and that. I, when I am lifted up, will draw all men to myself. Let's see what Muhammad said about the Torah. Narrated, Abdullah ibn Umar. A group of Jews came and invited the apostle of Allah. Notice the in parentheses this, says, peace be upon him. You know why? The Quran says that Allah and his angels pray for Muhammad. And then it says, you who believe, pray for him they are daily praying for Muhammad's salvation because Muhammad didn't know whether he was going to be saved or not. You understand what I just said? Your own prophet is uncertain of his salvation. If your own prophet is uncertain, how can you be
0: sure? That's
1: What he says. And I'll show you the proof for that. A group of Jews came and said, peace be upon him. See, every time a Muslim mentions Muhammad's name and when you, when you talk, pay attention. Either they're going to say, the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Or they're going to say in Arabic, Sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Alayhi salam. What are they doing? They're praying for his salvation. Because the Quran says pray for him. If that man needs my prayers, he's in sad shape. The reason why my prayers are effective is because Jesus' blood makes them effective. And he's interceding on the right hand of the Father, right? Muhammad doesn't have Jesus interceding for him because Muhammad is in hell. And if you're praying and you're not praying in the Spirit in union with Christ, do you think your prayers are efficacious before the Father? Jesus says, apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. You can be fasting and praying all you want. If it's not done in connection to me, by faith in me, your works are filthy rags. The only time your works will merit something before an infinitely holy God, it's when it's washed in the blood of Jesus. So if this man needs my prayers, he's hurting you are hurting, Muhammad. But hey, that's what they believe. So he visited them in their school. They said, Abul Qasim, one of our men has committed fornication. They're saying, the Jews are asking Muhammad pass judgment on these Jews who committed fornication with a woman. So pronounce judgment upon him. Now notice this. They placed a the cushion for the apostle of Allah. And again they say, peace be upon him. You notice it? He sat on it and said, bring the Torah. Okay, wait. At Muhammad's time, he's telling the Jews, bring me your Torah, the Torah that you have in your hand. It was then brought. He then withdrew the cushion from beneath him and placed the Torah on it, saying, does he say, I believe in parts of you, but other parts are corrupted? I believe in thee. I believe in this Torah and him who revealed it. Muhammad says to the Jews, I believe your Old Testament is the Word of God. So Muslims, why are you attacking the Old Testament when your prophet believed it? You're telling me you know more than your prophet? But if he believe my Old Testament, and again, if they ask, well, how do you know the Torah they had is the Torah you're reading today? What's the answer, Christians? Because they ask, well, it wasn't your Torah. Yeah, the Jews had a Torah. Torah means law. If you want to know what the word means. This is the word taken from Hebrew. The law of Moses is called the Torah. And the Torah can mean the law of Moses or can mean the entire Old Testament depending on the context. So when they're giving him a Torah, that would be their Old Testament Now, how do you know the Torah that Muhammad had in his day is the same Old Testament you're reading today? How do you know that? Because they're going to ask you, well, it's not the same what you have today. It's not the same. It's changed. What's your answer? Help me, Christians. Pastor Joe knows. I don't want him to answer. What's the answer? Yeah, how do you know that what you're reading today would be the Torah that Muhammad is reading? And what's the evidence that they preserved it? You got it we got the Dead Sea Scrolls. we got versions of the Old Testament in various languages, like the Greek version, the Septuagint. We also have copies of the Masoretic Text, the oldest of which is around the 11th century. But we got the Dead Sea Scrolls. Copies of the Old Testament written about 100, 200 years before Jesus that are virtually identical to what you're reading today. So whatever Torah they had is identical to what you had because we have the manuscript evidence to prove it, right? So that if the Torah that he had is what I have today and the manuscript evidence proves it, when was your Torah corrupted? It was corrupted after Muhammad. Well, we have copies written before Muhammad. The Dead Sea Scrolls, the Greek version. If it was corrupted before Muhammad, then Muhammad can't be a prophet because he has no clue. He thinks it's uncorrupt. So what's the conclusion, Muslim? Well, your Bible hasn't been corrupted. But then you've got another problem. I know what the Bible is, and it says Jesus is the Son of God, so Muhammad is a false prophet. Either way, you lose. It's not about losing. It's about winning their souls. Amen. Let's look at some other names. You ready? I'm just warming up. Let's go back, Pastor, if you don't mind. Notice we're providing all this for you. So we have no excuse not to be able to refute them. Let's go here where it says Ibn Abbas on the corruption of Scripture. Again, if you see, it's in blue, right? If you, that will give you, take you to the original site. However, I want you to notice what Ibn Abbas said. Now, who's Ibn Abbas? Ibn Abbas is Muhammad's first cousin. Muslims who know their religion will tell you Ibn Abbas is one of the greatest right, scholars who ever lived. He's a companion of Muhammad. It's like quoting Thomas, the apostle of the Lord. He's an eyewitness to Muhammad, right? If anyone's going to know whether the Bible's corrupt or not, if Muhammad believed that, it would be him, right? He knew what Muhammad believed. He's studying under the feet of Muhammad. If anyone knows what Muhammad believed about the Bible, it surely would be this man. But let's read what he says. He's explaining a verse of the Quran. They corrupt the word. Because the Quran talks about Christians corrupting the word. What does it mean they corrupt the word? Do they change the text? Or corrupted by misinterpretation? Let's see what he says. They corrupt the word means they alter or change its meaning. Yet no one is able to change even a single word from any book of God. So Muslim, you know more than him? And you know more than Muhammad? You told me the book of Allah, the Bible has been corrupted. Then you know more than him. And if you know more than him, then why do you follow him? But if you agree he knows more than you, why are you attacking my Bible? But if you don't attack my Bible, then you got to be a Christian. You can't be a Muslim. See the dilemma? Scroll down a little bit past there if you don't mind, because I'm going to quote something else. We give you it again, but go ahead. Keep going. Slowly, slowly. Okay, go down. Right here, Ibn Kathir. Let's read what he says. Ibn Kathir is one of the greatest Muslim exegetes. How many of you heard of Augustine or Augustine, however you want to pronounce it? You know, he was a brilliant man of God, had a lot of mistakes. He wasn't perfect in everything he did, but a man that wrote a lot on the Trinity, Deed of Christ, and tried to prove that Jesus is God. Well, Ibn Kathir would be the Augustine of the Muslim world. He's considered one of the greatest Muslim scholars. And when a Muslim wants to understand the Quran, they go to his commentary. Now, they've translated his commentary into English in a bridge form. So you can read his commentary online for free if you want to. And I'll give you the URL in a minute. But he's quoting some Muslims. Look what he says. Mujahid. These are people in the chain where he got this report from. Ash Shabi. Al-Hasan. Katada. Al-Rabi bin Anas said that. Who distort the book with their tongues. How do they change the book? With their pens or their tongues? How do you change a book with your tongue? By misinterpreting it. So the Quran is not attacking Jews and Christians for changing the text, but misinterpreting it with their mouths. And we'd agree, right? Christians do that all the time, don't they? The Bible says, and we know the Bible don't say it. They're misinterpreting it. And then he explains what the Quran is saying. means they alter Allah's words. Al-Bukhari reported that Ibn Abbas said, Ibn Abbas is Muhammad's cousin, That the ayah means they alter and add although none among Allah's creation can remove the words of Allah from His books. They alter and distort their apparent meanings. See, they can't change the book. God has committed Himself to preserving the Bible. You can't tamper with that unless you believe you're more powerful than God. And then he quotes someone else. Wahab bin Munabba. Wahab bin Munabba was someone who knew The companions of Muhammad. It's like Paul, right? Paul never saw the earthly Jesus. He saw Jesus in glory, but he never walked with Jesus while he was on earth. Wahab bin Munabba didn't follow Muhammad when Muhammad was on earth, but he followed his companions. Now notice what this guy says. Wahab bin Munabba said, the Torah and Injil remain as Allah revealed them, and no letter in them was removed. Here's a Muslim saying, Torah, the Old Testament, Injil, the Gospel of Jesus, remains exactly as God revealed them. And no one has removed any letter from them. And they ask the Muslims, okay, where's the Torah and the Injil then? If Allah has preserved the Torah and the Injil, where is it? I want to read it. <laughs> They're going to have to turn to your Bible. Because the Torah and Injil is found only in the Bible. And if it's not in the Bible... Allah either lied or failed. He said, no one changed my books. But Allah, you're a liar. Muslims tell me all the time, you're lying. Because they say, they did change your books. So your followers know more than you. Which Muslims going to accept that? So you need to put them in a position which they have to take what their own sources say seriously. But now someone will say, well, hold on, man. Why are you quoting the Quran and the Hadith? You don't believe Muhammad. Exactly, I don't. You do. The only reason why I'm quoting these sources is not because I believe they're authoritative. And I want to explain that to you guys. If Muhammad believed the Bible is true, that doesn't mean it's true. He can be wrong because he's a false prophet. Right? I don't go to an atheist and say, hey, Muhammad believed the Bible is true, therefore believe it. The atheist is going to laugh at me. Who cares what Muhammad believed? But why am I quoting him? Not because he holds any authority for us. Muhammad may have believed the Bible is uncorrupt and may be mistaken. Maybe the Bible was corrupt. But for a Muslim who believes in Muhammad, he cannot take that route. If he believes Muhammad is a prophet, he has to agree with Muhammad on the Bible. So if Muhammad said the Bible is not corrupt, you believe he's a prophet of God. You believe he can't be wrong. Why then are you attacking my Bible? Why do you pretend to be an atheist one minute and attack the Bible by using atheist arguments? Then you switch roles and become a Muslim again when it's convenient. Don't be using arguments of atheists. You're no atheist. You believe God exists, revelation was given, and your prophet said, my scriptures are uncorrupt. If he's right, you've got to believe my book. But in believing my book, you have to reject him. Because he contradicts my book. Everyone with me here? i got more. Because then we're going to show how we use the Bible to preach the gospel. Okay, Pastor, go back. You have to go to this website because unfortunately the Arabic translations distort what the Bible says. I'm sorry, what the Quran says about the Bible. Let's go back to the Quran browser. I'll help you out by showing you the Arabic transliteration. And in these articles, we show you what the Arabic actually means. Take the time to go to our website, read the verses of the Quran, because we provide the Arabic in transliteration and its accurate meaning, because the Muslims butcher the Arabic of the Quran, and you'll see what I mean. Pastor, put chapter 3, verses 3 to 2. Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. 3 to 4. I apologize. My. Three to four, and then semi, semi-colon. Oh, it's all right. Go back. Oh, sorry, Pastor. We're going to get a big chunk in here. Semicolon. and then chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. Wow, we're going to have fun right now. You ready? Praise Jesus Christ. I get excited when we destroy falsehood and exalt Jesus. Okay. Now, unfortunately, they don't translate the Arabic literally. However... I'm going to show you the Arabic words in transliteration. The good thing is, we have the Arabic spelled out in transliteration. And we provide that on our website. So if you read these verses in our articles, we give you it. Watch this. We're going to read Yusuf Ali. So follow with... You know what? Let's go to Shakir. Shakir, Follow with me because I'm going to show you what it says. He has revealed to you, Muhammad, the book with truth. Verifying. Confirming. The word verifying can mean confirm. That which is before it. Do you see this word before it? That's not what it says. Here you're gonna see in translation if you can look from there, it says musaddiqan. Pastor, you see the M U S A D D I Q A N in the Arabic translation? Highlight musaddiqan Lima Baina Yadehi. The top right above it. You'll see it's M U. You see that? Yeah. All the way to where you see the word Yadehi. Right? Right Excellent. Thank you. Now watch. Musaddiqan means sadaqa, means confirm, to testify that something is true. That's what the Arabic means. Do you see the words baina yadehi? Baina means between yadehi, his hands. Little translation is, the Quran confirms that which is between Muhammad's hands. In other words, whatever book that the Jews and Christians had at the time of Muhammad, the Quran confirms those books are true. That's what musaddiqan lima بَيْنَ yadehi means. Confirming that which is between his hands. That's a metaphor of saying that which he had access to. It's not that which is before it. That's not what it says. بَيْنَ yadehi, Between his hands. My question to the Muslims is what did Muhammad have access to? What was between his hands that he confirmed to be from God? What are those books that the Jews and Christians had? What's the answer? It's the Bible. How do we know? We got copies of the New Testament written before, during, and after Muhammad, and they all read the same way. Am I lying about that, Pastor? And by the grace of God, I'm sure in the future you're going to give them the evidence of the manuscripts. Amen? So you tell the Muslims, if this is true, then whatever books Muhammad had access to, it was between his hands, they must be truth. But those books are the books I'm reading today, so why don't you believe them? You know more than Muhammad? You know more than Muhammad? If there was any doubt that the books between his hands are the Old and New Testament, notice what it goes on to say. And Allah revealed the Torah and the Injil. The Torah, Old Testament, Injil, the Gospel of Jesus. So if there's any doubt that the Quran confirms the Torah and the Gospel, the next line tells you what, uh, what are those books between his hands. It's the Torah and the Gospel. So Muslims, where is the Torah and the Gospel that Muhammad was reading or had access to? Where is it? Oh, it's corrupted. So Muhammad was wrong? Allah failed? That's what you're telling me? And you want me to believe in a God who can't even preserve His Word? If your God is not powerful enough to pre- preserve His Word, how in the world can I trust Him to preserve my soul? See the problems? This is what I call Islamic Dilemma 101. You're in 201, so you're a little more advanced, by the grace of God. <laughs> Let's continue reading the next verse, chapter 3, 3 to 4. And He revealed the Torah and in the Injeel, after time, a guidance for them. And you know why I love this second part? The, the Muslims will tell you Jesus was only sent to Israel, not to the world. Quran says you're wrong. Do you know why? Because it says the gospel, the Injil, the Gospel, is a guidance to mankind. Does it say a guidance only to the children of Israel? Why are you contradicting the Quran? Because I you, hey, Jesus' gospel is for the Israelites, not for you. Quran says that his gospel is for the people, the mankind, the world, not just for Israel. So you're telling me your Quran is wrong again? He's going to have to accept that the gospel is for mankind. Then you ask him, well, why aren't you reading it? Ain't you part of mankind? Or you're just a different class of creation. You ain't human. No, I'm human. Well, it says the Gospels for you. And it's a guidance for you. Why would Allah tell you the gospel is guidance for you if the gospel is corrupt? What kind of guidance can a corrupt book give you? They got issues, don't they? Let's go to chapter 5, verse 43. I love this one. This one is a nightmare to the Muslim if you know how to present this. And what's your point in quoting the Quran? To silence their attacks in the Bible. So when he's saying the New Testament says it's corrupt, ah, don't go that route anymore. That route. Your Quran says it's not corrupt, so you better take it seriously if you truly fear Allah. So that's how you silence the attacks in the Bible, right? In fact, the Muslim has to come and help you defend the Bible. right? Because Muhammad said the Bible is uncorrupt. He's got to take a stand with you and defend the authenticity of the Bible. Because if he goes against the Bible, he's going against Muhammad. So Muhammad is wrong. But if he accepts Muhammad, he's got to stand next to you and tell the atheist, Hey man, no, the Bible is true. And here the manuscript evidence shows it's true. And Muhammad believed it's true. He's got to defend the Bible alongside you. You with me? Man, I hope it sinks in. Because you say, man, you better be coming on this side, preaching the gospel. Why? Because your Quran says the gospel is true. So if it's right, my gospel can't be corrupt. If it's corrupt, your Quran is wrong. But then you still got a problem. As you defend the gospel, the Quran is still wrong. Because my gospel says Muhammad is an antichrist. Man, they're hurting. But Jesus Christ has the solution. Think about it. Let me give you an analogy so you follow with this argumentation. Understand what I'm trying to do here. As Christians, can you attack the Old Testament? Can you say the Old Testament's corrupt, the Jews corrupted it, it's an evil, vile book? Could you say that? Why can't you? Say it again. The New Testament, Jesus says the Old Testament is the Word of God, right? You believe Jesus is true? You gotta believe what he believes, right? So if I'm a true Christian and I believe Jesus, I gotta believe in the Old Testament. That's the same position the Muslim is in. The Quran tells the Muslim the Bible is true. So if he's gonna believe the Quran, he has to believe the Bible. You can't be a Muslim and attack the Bible. Just like I can't be a Christian and say the Old Testament is garbage. Can I? It'd be a lot easier if I didn't have to believe in the Old Testament because all the times, what about all those massacres? God wiped out everything that breathes. It'd be easier, right? But God didn't say it's going to be easy. Can I say, well, that, ah, that Old Testament is—that's evil, man. God was evil back then; He was angry. I can't say that because Jesus told me, no, that's the Word of God. Whatever it says, you better affirm. So then I have to come up with an explanation to make sense of why God would wipe out everything that breathes to see the justice and what God did. But my point is. Because the New Testament tells me the Old Testament is true, now I have to stick up for it and defend it. So I have to join the Jews in defending the Old Testament. The Muslim must join the Christians and the Jews in defending the Old and New Testaments. Do you see the comparison? You with me there? Let's read 543 to 48. All of this is on the website, by the way. Even if you can't remember the verses, just go to that link and you'll have the documentation. Muslims tell you, man, you got to believe in the Quran. you got to come to the Quran for guidance. That's what they tell you, right? The Quran says, no, you're wrong. You don't need to come to Muhammad. The Bible is good enough for you. That's what it says right here. Pay attention to the language. But how do they come to you? How do they make you a judge when they have the Torah wherein is Allah's judgment? Catch what it's saying? Why are they coming to you, Muhammad, for decision? They have the Torah. The Torah gives them the judgment of Allah. Why don't they turn to the Torah? Why is the Quran telling Jews... Don't come to Muhammad, go to your Torah if the Torah is corrupted. Can you help me understand that, Christian? I mean, see it. I pray in Jesus' name by the Spirit, you're seeing this. How do they come to you? if you want to read Shakur or Yusuf Ali, let's go to Yusuf Ali, the first one. But why do they come to thee for decision? Why are they coming for you, Muhammad, to decide the matter when they have their own law before them? Therein is the plain command of God. You see what the Quran is telling Jews? Go to your Torah. God has told you. He's given you his command in the Torah. Why are Muslims telling you not to turn to the Torah when the Quran tells Jews to turn to the Torah? And why would the Quran tell you to read the Torah, the Old Testament, if the Old Testament's corrupt? Why is Allah telling me to judge by a corrupt book? Is Allah in the business of deceiving me? What does that tell you? What is the belief of the author of the Quran? Is the Torah corrupt or is it truth from God? What's the answer when you read this passage? What's the answer, Christians? The Torah must be uncorrupt if Allah is telling the Jews, judge by it. Don't come to Muhammad. Go to the Torah. And then let's continue reading. Surely, we're going to read this shakr, the verse after that. Surely we revealed the Torah in which was guidance and light. Who revealed the Torah that has guidance and light? Supposedly Allah, the God of the Quran. We don't believe he's the God of the Bible. But again, they believe it. With it, the prophets who submitted themselves to Allah judge matters. Who used the Torah to judge people? The prophets. You see it? Are you with me? But what is this telling you? It's saying, if the Torah was good enough for the prophets, it should be good enough for you. Like they judge by the Torah, you need to judge by the Torah. But I thought the Torah is corrupt. I don't have it. And are you telling me the prophets were judging by a corrupt Torah? And God didn't tell them that Torah is corrupt? You understand the problems this poses? This assumes that the Torah is not corrupt. And just like the prophets used it, you should use it, because if it was good enough for the prophets, it has to be good enough for you. Everyone with me on that, right? The prophets who submitted themselves to Allah judge matters for those who were Jews. And continue uh, down, Pastor. The masters of divine knowledge. Uh, the masters of divine knowledge. I think I lost my place. Where was it? It was 544. Just go look a little bit. A little bit. Just a little bit. Okay. The masters of divine knowledge and the doctors, because they were required to guard part of the book of Allah. And they were witnesses thereof. Therefore, fear not the people and fear me. Allah is saying, don't be afraid of what people think. Fear me and obey the Torah. And do not take a small price for my communications. And whoever did not judge by what Allah revealed, those are they that are the unbelievers. You understand the last part, the significance of that? You understand that? It's saying, if you do not judge by what Allah revealed in the Torah, you are an unbeliever. Why is the Quran calling me a disbeliever for not judging by a corrupt Torah? Remember, the Torah is supposed to be corrupt. Why is Allah telling me if I don't judge by the Torah, I'm an unbeliever? I thought the Torah is corrupt. It's no good. Does Allah believe the Torah is no good? So then why Muslims are attacking it? Why are they constantly attacking your Bible? Because either they're deceived... Or deceivers, and it's your job to show them the truth. Now let's continue to the next verse. We're almost done with this section. We're going to talk about the deity of Christ. If I have time, I don't know how much time I got, but you let me know, Pastor. We prescribe to them, we, Allah, prescribe to them in it. In what? In what? What did Allah prescribe in where? What is it talking about? What book? Torah. Life is for life. Eye for eye. Nose for nose. Sound familiar? Wait! The Quran is actually quoting your Old Testament? Life for life, eye for eye, nose for nose. Boy, that sure sounds familiar. Yeah, because it's in your Old Testament to this day. That means whatever Muhammad was reading, he must be reading what you have because there's a command in the Torah at his time that you have in your Torah today. So when was it changed? When? Never. Never. Let's go to Jesus Christ our Lord. Now before we do that, whoever forgoes it, if you don't demand eye for an eye and you just forgive forgive the person, it's expiation. Allah will forgive you. And then notice again, whoever did not judge by what Allah revealed, those are they that are the unjust. You don't judge by the Old Testament, you are unjust. You're a disbeliever. Muslims, I'm confused. You're telling me my Bible is corrupt. Allah is rebuking me for not judging by the Bible. But why in the world does Allah want me to judge by the Bible if it's so corrupted? Can you help me make sense out of that one? Hilarious, isn't it? See how easy God made your job in preaching the gospel? But don't don't think that by winning an argument you win souls. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Like one Christian said, if it was a matter of evidence, the whole world would be Christian. But it's not just evidence. It's a sinful heart that needs a spirit to work in it. So you've got to be praying and fasting. Holy Spirit, be pleased to use this truth. Plant the seed, water it. Holy Spirit, bring them to the feet of Jesus. Because it's the job of the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. So be holy instruments in the hands of an all-sovereign, perfect spirit, the eternal spirit of the Father and His glorious Son, the Lord Jesus. Remember, the Holy Spirit doesn't honor laziness. Right? So if you're lazy, don't expect the Spirit to be giving you the wisdom that you need. Chapter 5, verse 46. Let's read what Jesus says. Again, butchered in the Arabic, but that's okay. I'm going to show you what the Arabic says. Chapter 5, verse 46. <clears throat> Let's see what translation should I read. Okay, well, it doesn't matter. They all butcher it. That's all right. Let's read this one here. Let's read the uh, Hilali Khan. And in their footsteps, we sent Isa, son of Maryam, confirming what? That had come before him. You see the butchering? Let's see again. Pastor, if you can find the word Musaddiqan, نيم baina يَدَي You'll see it right there. Musaddiqan, M-U-S And this is all on the website for you. So don't think you need to know Arabic. We've done it for you. Just go and get the material. Study it and go out Saturday and conquer Muslims for Jesus. <laughs> right here you're going to see Musaddiqan in the Arabic translation. M-U-S-A-D-D-I-K-A And it appears twice and you can just uh, highlight any one of them. Right there. You got it. مُسَدِّقٍ Lima Baina Yadehi. Follow where he, he highlighted it. Wa Musaddiqan, do you see the word Lima? Lima means between. And do you see the words Baina, B A Y N A. Yadehi. The literal translation. And in their footsteps, we sent Jesus, the Son of Mary, confirming the Torah between his hands. He confirmed the Torah between his hands. That's going to be powerful stuff in a minute. Then it goes on to say and we gave him the gospel, the Injil in which was guidance and light. And again, confirmation of the Torah, mistranslation that had come before it. Actually, if you see it, it says وَأَتَيْنَهُ وَأَتَيْنَهُ al Injila, Fihi, وَنُورٍ We gave him, we sent down to him the gospel that contains guidance and light, and then it says Wa musaddiqan Lima Baina Yadehi. His gospel confirms the Torah in his hands powerful you know why you ask the muslim a question what was the old testament in jesus's hands that he confirmed what was the gospel he brought that confirmed the old testament you don't need to guess the new testament shows you in the new testament when jesus quotes the torah what is he quoting is he quoting some different torah from what you have today or does he quote the very old testament that you read today do you remember early in the beginning we read Go back and remember, in the beginning, we read Matthew 22, 31, 32. Do you remember that? He says, have you not read what God said to you? I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what did he quote? Exodus 3, 6. Jesus says, Exodus is God speaking. The Quran says, that's exactly what Jesus would do. Jesus would come and confirm the Torah, the Old Testament, the Scriptures in His hands. You ask the Muslim, what was the Torah in His hands? Of course, they're not going to answer. So you better believe it's what I have today. How how do you know? Have you heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Dead Sea Scrolls are copies of the Old Testament in 200 years, 200 years before Christ, identical to what you have today. So if Jesus is right, and the Quran says he is, and he confirmed the Torah in his hand, and the Quran says he did, and I know the Torah is what I have in my hands, then you Muslims must accept my Torah. You better start reading the Old Testament. You better start reading Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You better start reading Isaiah and see the prophecies that the Messiah is God in the flesh who died on the cross for your sins. You better start listening to the Old Testament because that's what your Quran says you must do. But let's say the Old Testament was corrupt. Let's agree with the Muslims. Say, okay, Muslims, our Old Testament's corrupt. You're right. Allah either lied and Jesus lied. Or Allah and Jesus were ignorant of the fact the Old Testament was corrupt. Why? Because the Old Testament that Jesus confirmed is what you have today. But you're telling me it's corrupt. So now you tell me, doesn't that make Allah a deceiver? Or does that make Allah ignorant? Either He lied and Jesus lied because they confirmed the book which is corrupted, or they were ignorant and didn't know it was corrupt. Now you tell me which position you're going to take. If your Allah is the deceiver, He's not worthy of worship. If He's ignorant, He can't be trusted. So, the only solution, you have to believe what the Quran says. The Old Testament's not corrupt, therefore, you better start reading it. But that's, oh, that's Old Testament. You haven't proven to me the New Testament's Word of God. I don't need to. Muhammad did. Let's continue reading. Confirming what was before of the Torah, a guidance and an admonition. Notice the Torah and the Gospel are guidance and admonition for those who guard against evil. Now, let's go down to 47. 47. Watch here, man. This is talking to the Christians at Muhammad's time. Don't forget, Muhammad is in dialogue. He's debating Jews and Christians. Notice what Muhammad tells the Christians. Let the people of the gospel, we'll go with Yusuf Ali, right? Judge by what God has revealed therein. Judge by what? Muhammad is talking to the Christians. He's saying, you people of the gospel, the gospel is given to you. Judge by what God revealed in it. In what? Help me out, Christians. In what? But is Muhammad talking to the Christians at his time? Yeah. He's talking to the Christians. Okay, can I ask you a question, Muslim? Yeah. If the Gospel of Jesus was available at the time of Muhammad, and Muhammad is telling the Christians to judge by the Gospel that God gave Jesus, what was the Gospel that the Christians had at Jesus' time? What was it? What's the answer, Christian? The New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. How do we know? Don't we have manuscripts of the New Testament written before, during and after Muhammad? Did the church at the time of Muhammad have any other gospel than the gospels you read today? So if that's true, the gospel was available to Christians at Muhammad's time, the very gospel of Christ. But historically, the gospel that the Christians would have been reading is the New Testament. Then why don't you believe in the New Testament? If it's corrupted, then Muhammad lied to you or was deceived and your Quran is corrupt because it's bearing witness to a book that you say it's corrupt. But if you believe the Quran is true, then the New Testament can't be corrupt because that was the gospel they were reading. That's the gospel that Muhammad said, judge by it. In fact, he says, if you don't judge by it, what are you? If any do fail to judge by the light of what God has revealed, they are those who rebel. You Christians don't judge by your New Testament. You are rebels. God, Allah, expects you to judge by the New Testament. Well, now you're in a problem, Muslim. If I judge by the New Testament, I must condemn Muhammad as a false prophet because he contradicts the New Testament. But if you tell me it's corrupt, then again I must reject Muhammad as a false prophet because he thought my New Testament is uncorrupt. But you're telling me it is. So either way, Muhammad loses. You guys are a good, gracious bunch, man. Staying up for about two hours hearing me by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. thank Jesus. Everything good from our Lord. Amen. He's given the church all the gifts that the church needs so that we have no excuse. right? <clears throat> I'm just going to look at uh, one or two more references. Like I said, Islam is a comprehensive religious system. And uh, as you're witnessing the Muslims, they're going to have objections and challenges. One was that the Bible is corrupt. I think I've given you the resources to demonstrate to them that if they take the Quran seriously, then they cannot attack the Bible. However... Just because by the grace of God you can show a Muslim that he needs to take the Bible seriously, that doesn't mean that they're going to then embrace the doctrines that we hold dear and near to our hearts. For example, we believe in the Trinity. Muslims are convinced, like Joe's witnesses, the Bible doesn't teach the Trinity. Muslims are convinced, like Joe's witnesses, the New Testament doesn't teach that Jesus is God. So even if you get them to believe in the Bible by the grace of God, they're going to tell you, okay, so what? The New Testament doesn't teach the Trinity. Jesus didn't teach it, didn't believe it. So the most uh, that you're proving is I should be a Jehovah Witness or something else. Why should I be a Trinitarian? And they have objections. So it's very comprehensive. But everything is dealt with on the website. And this uh, presentation I gave you, you'll find the same presentation on YouTube. I did a series called Islamic Dilemma. You go to YouTube, type in the word Islamic Dilemma. My picture, my you know, big, bald, beautiful face will pop up. <coughs> Click on it. Go there in Islamic Dilemma. The pastor is going to show you how to do it. You just type in Islamic Dilemma. When it comes out, you go there. Everything I just discussed, you'll find it in the first lecture if you can click on that, pastor. You're going to find it. See? You're going to see that. Not the other one. The other one. Right there next to it. The bottom one. Click on Islamic Dilemma. Right up there. Go up a little bit. Next. No. Okay. Well, click just on the word Islamic Dilemma. Right there. Okay. You're going to go to the page itself. Here's the page. I did this at the prayer furnace. The first lecture, if you go and hear it, and there's links to the articles. We provide the links on that uh, video. to the articles where I demonstrate that the Quran proves the Bible's uncorrupt word of God. And that true Christians prevailed, which includes Paul. And so if the Quran is true, then the New Testament must be true. I give you the information. I address the challenges. So you can go back and listen if you don't want to read. But use this. Because these are the arguments that are going to put Muslims in a position in which they have to seriously consider what the Quran says about the Bible. And they're going to have to stop attacking it if they believe in the Quran. But if they believe in the Quran, what it says about the Bible, they have to become Christian. This is why I called it Islamic Dilemma. But there's only one more quote I'm going to read. I said that the gospel of Jesus Christ that the Quran says was available at the time of Muhammad is your New Testament. Here's a quotation. This comes from one of our articles. A quotation, if you go down here, you're going to see it says, The Life of Muhammad, a translation of Ibn Ishaq's Sirat Rasulullah. This is the oldest available biography on the life of Muhammad that was written 750 A.D. approximately, over 100 years after the death of Muhammad. So this is a very old source, preserved, although it was edited by Muslims. In this source, pages 103, 104, Now, the Quran says that there are prophecies of Muhammad in the Bible. The Quran says to the Muslims, you want to know Muhammad is a true prophet like Moses and Jesus? The Bible has prophecies of the coming of Muhammad. If you want to know what some of those prophecies are, ask me, we'll talk about that in the Q&A. This Muslim took the Quran at face value, decided to go and read the Bible of the Christians and Jews to find a prophecy of Muhammad, and he thought he found it. He's going to quote the Gospel of John. Chapter 15, verses 23 to chapter 16, verse 1. But in quoting it, notice what he says about the Gospel of John. Here's early witness that the first Muslims believed your New Testament is the Word of God. Among the things which have reached me about what Jesus, the Son of Mary, stated in the Gospel, which he received from God for the followers of the Gospel, in applying a term to describe the Apostle of God, see he believes Jesus predicted the coming of Muhammad. When it says Apostle God, it means Muhammad. Is the following. Note. It is extracted. And we put it all in bold. from In capitals. From what John, the Apostle, set down for them when he wrote the Gospel for them from the testament of Jesus, Son of Mary. Did you catch it? He says that John's Gospel is the Gospel of Jesus Christ which God gave to the people of the Gospel. He's co- quoting John's Gospel As the gospel that God gave to Jesus to give to us. Do you understand the implication of that? If a Muslim is telling you the gospel of Jesus is the gospel of John, that's what he's telling you, that means that I can read the gospel of John and know it's the word of God according to Islam. Then why are Muslims attacking the gospels? You know why, right? Because it's the gospel of John that says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Muhammad says Allah has no Son. So if the Gospel of John is the Gospel of Jesus, Muhammad is a fake. But if the Gospel has been corrupted, Muhammad is a fake again, because he said the Gospel is not corrupted, but history says it is. Muslims are in a no-win situation. Praise the Lord. They only win by turning to Jesus and accepting Him as Lord and Savior. There's a lot more evidence, but we're going to open up to Q&A per the pastor's request. If you have any questions, maybe you heard some objections that a Muslim brought up right, concerning what you believe about Jesus, the Trinity, feel free to ask me and... Whenever the pastor decides to consummate the session, we'll stop. So, Pastor, how do you want to? Ahead, all right,
0: so um, so let's say you're you're out there and you're just about to witness. So what would be the beginning? What would you start off with?
1: Uh, well, first, I just preach the gospel, share my testimony, talk about Jesus.
0: Amen. I'm with Jesus. Amen.
1: You know, I when I'm lifted up, will draw all men to myself. So you're there not to debate Muslims, but uh, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you take it from there and trust the Spirit's leading, because I might say, here's the good news of Jesus, and Jesus says, believe in Him as your Lord and Savior. That right there is going to open a door for a flood of objections. Mm-hmm. Who said Jesus is your Lord? He never said that. Who said Jesus is God? He never said that. Your Bible's corrupt. See? Once you preach the gospel, the objection's going to come. Yeah. So you won't have to worry about what to say. And Jesus says, don't think in advance what to say, because at that moment, he'll give you wisdom to confound your opponents. Amen. Amen. Luke twenty-one fifteen. So Jesus can't lie. Just trust in the Holy Spirit. Be prayed up. Study him again. That doesn't excuse responsibility. The Holy Spirit honors discipline and zeal for the Word of God. Amen. So if you're prayed up and reading the Scripture and you're seeking the face of God so you can worship Him, trust that when you're preaching, the Holy Spirit is going to use you mightily. But if you're going there a carnal and you're not prayed up and you ain't reading Scripture, the Holy Spirit is going to let you get humiliated to teach you a lesson. All right? So just trust in the prompting of the Spirit and leading the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> um, this... Okay, um, You... That's okay, brother. No, I'm not. It died. Okay, let's share that one. Okay. Okay. Which one? This one here. This one? Yeah. Please, oh, so sorry, so the people can hear. Okay, I, I don't know how far is the microphone. I'm gonna have to maybe Andrew. Please get this portable
0: mic. Okay. Um, you mentioned um, some of the prophecies of Muhammad in the Bible. Well, about it, yes. Yes. Could you elaborate on that and talk about that a little bit? Oh, yes, uh, <laughs> that's what you get. If you never go to a mosque, that's how they pray. See, I, I play the video just a few seconds of you actually
1: doing it with the real deal, because that was a question. Sure. Uh,
0: I, do I, you I don't even know. Name. I just want them to hear how you do it in person. Oh yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. I'll you just, mean the one? Yeah. Like a few and sure. Go stop ahead. And By the
1: way, let me just share a testimony how the Lord used. Uh, Pastor was had stick cam. Was it called? Yes. Yeah, stick stick cam. He had invited me to debate two Muslims on the Trinity. Just to share with you a praise report. All glory to God, no praise to man. Uh, There was a young Muslim. His name is Renal Joseph. Remember him in your prayers, him and his sister. Because Muslims are persecuting him. Putting pressure on him to return to Islam. And saying he's trying to shake him. Renal Joseph. Pray for him. Renal Joseph. Uh, He was being preached to by Christians. And he was starting to really get excited about the Gospel. But he had a stumbling block. And the stumbling was, block was, how can the Trinity be true? I had a debate on stick camp, which the pastor was uh, moderating. And him and I, by the grace of God, refuted their objections. He said it was that debate that convinced me the Trinity is true and he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. So that just tells you God is using the efforts of your pastor and ourselves. No matter how meager our efforts are, if we're doing it to glorify the Lord, he will use it. So Pray. For these debates. In fact this weekend I'm going to be. See, you're seeing my beautiful face right there. I'm on live satellite. Lord willing this Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'm going to go be on live satellite again. Muslims calling in. And we're refuting them. And taking them captive for Christ. So bathe us in prayer this weekend. We need it. So this is the clip. Notice the subtitle. Did Moses predict the coming of Muhammad during 18? Do you want that one? Or do you want the one with John? It's up to you. Okay. I just to see okay, see. Uh, are are there, okay, right there was Muhammad the comforter of John. That's a prophecy. Listen to this. This is live, by the way. Now,
0: regardless that, I can move on to the next Next point that okay. that uh, I want to make. Okay. If you would let me just... Uh, this very weekend we we'll this explain. again. Us in the Peace. only thing that Muslims have is one uh,
1: line in Quran that the name of the prophet after uh, Jesus is Ahmad. Yes. It's a title description of the root name. Now, regarding chapter of John 14. By the way, let me share something and, with you. When you see me twitching, it's because I can't wait to refute the argument. I'm about <math. laughs> I my darn is referring I to the point. I know what, what seems to be the Holy Spirit, see, but it's even a title. This CR. title was translated to Greek. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very impatient, so pray for me.
0: I'm kind of impatient too. I just wanted to see that you do this with yeah. people answering.
1: But yeah, so there, right, he's talking. Yeah. I know the objections. So I've heard a thousand times.
0: let go back to the mic, please. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Oh,
1: am sorry. Yeah. Okay. So you get an idea. You can hear it live. A debate. Uh, this man, Lord of God, he's a truth seeker. You know how I know? Every time I refuted him, he goes, "I see your point. Good point." For a Muslim to say that, that's tremendous. So the seed's been planted. So pray for him. My problem. One of the fruits of the spirit is patience. Pray for me, because I've heard these attacks for so many years. When a guy opens his mouth, I know where he's going. I just want to refute it before he finishes. Yeah. Well, I know what you're going to say. Let me finish it for you. But if you don't give them a chance to speak, they won't give you the respect to hear you out. Right. Well, so why should I listen to you? You're cutting me off. right? So you have to be patient. So pray for me. Uh, that God will give me patience. Because I'm over there. I'm, I'm, and you, my feet, I'm keeping them like this. I'm shaking them. Like, you, you guys can't see it. My buddy next to me sees it. That gentleman, his name is David Wood. He was an atheist street thug who put a couple of people in the hospital. He searched the evidence for the resurrection by the grace of God. He's now on fire for Jesus, loves the Lord. And he was this killing machine who's now a gentle giant who doesn't hurt anybody. Praise God. Uh, I'm saying, praise God you're on my side, man. I wouldn't want to mess with you because he's a big dude. He makes me look small. Now that tells you he's big. It's all God, right? But glory to God. So pray for him. A former atheist who's now a believer. He's going to be with me this weekend. So he's showing you that this is stuff that you're going to actually use. That's the point. We're not making it up. These are the arguments. Notice the title, Was Muhammad the Comfort of John 14? Since you asked me about some of the prophecies, let's just deal with John. It's one of my favorite. Now, can you go to the Quran so they can appreciate the context uh, of why Muslims are turning to your Bible? Why in the world will they go to your Bible and find prophecies of Muhammad? Here's why. Pastor, if you can type in chapter 7, verse 157. 7, verse 157. And can you go back? We're going to look at two of them to see. 7157, semicolon 61, verse 6. 61, verse 6. Now, as he turns there, before you read these passages, let me just share something with you. Remember, the Quran keeps saying that Jesus was given the gospel. And the gospel is in our possession. However, Muhammad, and the spirit that inspired him, tried to pull a fast one on the Muslims and Jews and Christians because according to to the Quran, you know what the gospel, the good news of Jesus is? If I ask you Christians, what's the gospel, the good news of Jesus? What would you tell me, in a nutshell? And I'm not asking for a comprehensive explanation, but in a nutshell, what would the gospel be that Jesus preached? Jesus died for our sins and rose again. Amen. That's good news, right? God so loved the world that He gave His Son to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. Praise His holy name. You know what the good news of the Quran is, according to the Quran? You know what the gospel of Jesus is? His gospel is that He announced the coming of Muhammad. That's His gospel. The good news that Jesus preached was that Muhammad is coming. That's good news. Oh, children of Israel, here's the good news. I'm preparing for the coming of Muhammad. So when he comes, believe in him. That's the good news of Jesus according to the Quran. Now here's why Muslims turn to your Bible for prophecies. We're going to look at the Hilari khan translation. If you remember earlier I said this particular translation inserts words in parentheses. Why? To either explain the text according to Islamic tradition or help Muslims find certain things. Notice here, it says, those who follow the messenger, the prophet who can neither read nor write. Notice in parentheses it says, I.E. Muhammad. Do you see A-S-A-W? You know what that means? Sallallahu alayhi wa See, they're praying for him. Again, in parentheses, when they mention the name, S-A-W. Pray for him. See what they're doing? <laughs> those who follow the messenger, the prophet who can neither read nor write. Who is that? Muhammad. Whom they find written with them, where? But notice in parentheses what they, what they reference. Durrani 18.15. So the Muslims are telling you, Durani 18.15 is not a proph- prophecy of Jesus, it's a prophecy of Muhammad. But wait, it gets better. And the Injil, Gospel, and what do they put in parentheses? So the translators are telling the Muslims, turn to the Bible, here you'll find prophecies of Muhammad from Moses... And Jesus. But notice the dilemma again. Notice it says that the Torah and the Gospel is with them. Whom they find written with them in the Torah and the Gospel. You ask the question again. What was the Torah with the Jews? And what was the Gospel with the Christians at the time of Muhammad? What did they have? Well, the translators told you. Durami and John. Then why are you attacking the Old and New Testament when your own translators tell you that's the, uh, that's the Torah and the Gospel they have? So your Quran is telling you that the Gospel and the Torah they had is what I have today. Why don't you believe it? See again, this turns against them, right? But again it says, hey, you know, Muhammad is predicting the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at that and we're going to dismantle it. Can you go down to the other passage, uh, Pastor? Alright? If you go down, you see sixty-one Let's see what is the good news of Jesus. And remember what Isa, son of Maryam, said, O oh, children of Israel, I am the messenger of Allah. Unto you confirming the Torah. Notice that he confirms the Old Testament. And giving glad tidings of a messenger to come after me whose name shall be Ahmed. That's Muhammad's other name. According to the Quran, Jesus said Muhammad is coming. Right? Notice when it mentions Ahmed, in parentheses, again, Muhammad, S-A-W. Again, praying for Muhammad. So if you're a Muslim and you believe this, what are you going to do? What's the first thing you're going to do if you believe the Quran that Muhammad is predicted in the Torah, in the Gospel? What are you going to do if you're a Muslim? You're told, Muhammad is predicted in the Torah and the Gospel. If you're a Muslim, what are you going to do? You're going to try to hunt the Torah and the Gospel, right? You look around, what do you find? The Bible. So you're going to go to the Bible and say, Okay, my Quran says Muhammad is in the Bible. Let me look for prophecies. And they go, Ah, we found them. Now with that said, let's look at John. That's one of the prophecies. Now they're going to mention it. Muhammad is the comforter, the paraclete, the counselor. It's not the Holy Spirit. If we go to John 14, go to 16.7, Pastor. Just go to John 16.7. And here's why they say it cannot be the Holy Spirit. You believe it's the Holy Spirit? When Jesus says, I will pray the Father and He'll give you another counselor. Greek, Paraclete. The Holy Spirit, right? The Muslim is going to try to trip you. Okay, be prepared. See, this is why we have training sessions or schools. The job of the pastor is to thoroughly equip you for what to expect outside so that you don't get caught off guard. So what they're going to tell you. They're going to say, oh, Christian, was the Holy Spirit there before Jesus? In some sense. Not in the same sense that we find him in the New Testament. But was he there in some sense? For example, wasn't the Baptist filled with the Spirit in his mother's womb? And wasn't Zechariah filled with the Spirit when he prophesied? And wasn't Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit? And wasn't the Holy Spirit on Simeon when they brought in the boy Jesus, the baby Jesus in the temple? Right? It says, Luke 1 and 2 says they were... So the Spirit was there before Jesus, Right? Obviously, in the New Testament, we have a more fuller outpouring of the Holy Spirit. A greater dispensation of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Was He there during the time of Jesus? When Jesus was doing His ministry, was the Holy Spirit there? Of course. What did Jesus say? If I, by the Spirit of God, cast out demons, then know that the kingdom of God is upon you. Matthew 12:28. Didn't He say that? Yes. If I, by the Spirit of God, cast out demons, know that the kingdom of God is upon you. What came upon Jesus after He was baptized? And what power did he go into the wilderness? It says in the Holy Spirit he went into the wilderness. Luke 4.1 And then when he came back, it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke 4.14 So Jesus operated in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So he was there, right? That's proof the Counselor can't be the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus says, I must go for the Counselor to come. But you told me the Holy Spirit is there. But the Counselor wasn't there. How can he be the Holy Spirit? See the objection? John 16.7 I'm going to put on your thinking caps, Christian. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But he was already there, you said, the Holy Spirit. Whoever this counselor is, he's not there. Can't be the Holy Spirit. It must be Muhammad. See what they're doing? That's what they're trying to prove. It can't be the Holy Spirit. It has to be Muhammad. Okay, you know what I'll do? You want me to show you how you can use these passages to prove that Jesus is Muhammad's God? It's what I did to the caller. He was shocked. Go listen to the clip. He sat there, stunned. What I did. I go, okay, fine. The Counselor is Muhammad, right? Yeah. All right. Let's read John sixteen seven again. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Who sends the Counselor to the people? Jesus. Oh, excellent. Pastor, can you go to John fifteen twenty six? Always take a passage that they distort and use it to glorify Christ. I'm glad you quoted that, brother. Do you have time for the answer? Praise the Lord. You're going to come to our church metro. You're going to get baptized and be filled with the Spirit. And you're going to be worshiping Jesus. Watch. You think, yeah, yeah. John 15:26. I love when they do this. Praise His holy name. He made it so easy to proclaim truth. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. The Spirit of Truth. They'll say, Oh, the Spirit of Truth means a man who, who is filled with the Spirit. That's how they'll say. He says, No, see, he's a Spirit. No, it means he's a man filled with the Spirit of Truth. They'll distort it. Don't argue with him yet. Say, Okay, okay, I agree. It's Muhammad. Who sends the Spirit of Truth? Jesus from the Father, right? Who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Don't forget. Jesus sends the counselor from the Father. With me, right? Ask a Muslim Muslim, who sent Muhammad? I'll tell you, Allah sent Muhammad. And whose name was Muhammad sent? In the name of Allah. But in John 14.26, if you can go there, Pastor, it says that the Father will send the Counselor in Jesus' name. Right? Okay, follow with me. Let's take it step by step. We're going to have fun. 14.26. Praise the Lord. Okay, now watch what happens here. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Catch it. The Father and the Son together send the Counselor. Now it says Holy Spirit. Say, yeah, but it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit. It means a man who has the Holy Spirit. They're going to butcher it. That's okay. Don't argue with them yet. Say, alright, alright, all right. I'm not arguing with you. Let's say it's not the Holy Spirit. But Muslim, do you see that Jesus says, the Father sends the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And, the, and Jesus himself will send the, uh, the Counselor. Father and Son, send the Counselor in the name of Jesus, right? Okay. You ask the Muslim, who sent Muhammad again? Allah. And whose name was he sent? In the name of Allah. Thank you for proving that Jesus is Allah, the God of Muhammad. <laughs> Why? Because remember, Allah sent Muhammad, Jesus sends the counselor, the is Muhammad, therefore who sent Muhammad? Jesus. But if Jesus sent Muhammad, and you're telling me Allah sent Muhammad, then Jesus is Allah, Muhammad's God. You ready to get baptized and worship Jesus as Allah? What are you going to say? The guy then said, oh, well, yeah, your Bible's corrupt. Okay, I thought so. Did you catch the, the problem? If Muhammad is the counselor, just say, okay, he's the counselor. I don't want to argue with you because now I'm going to show you that Jesus is your God. And Jesus sends the counselor. Jesus sends the counselor. Allah sent Muhammad. Muhammad is the counselor. Conclusion? Jesus is Allah, the one who sent Muhammad, the counselor. And therefore, Jesus is God, according to your theology. Are you ready to worship Jesus? No, no, your Bible's corrupt. Then don't ever quote it to prove Muhammad is predicted. Second problem. Second problem. Not only does Jesus send Muhammad from the Father, the Father will send, because they're saying the counselor is Muhammad. The father will send Muhammad. Let's say it's Muhammad. Okay, now you got a problem though, Muslim. If Muhammad is the counselor and the father and Jesus, the son, sent him, that's proof your Quran is corrupted. You've changed your Quran. You've corrupted it. Why? Because the Quran says Allah is not a father. Remember? Allah's not a father. He doesn't have children. But Jesus says the counselor will be sent by the father and by him. So, if Muhammad's the counselor, surely he believed God was father. Why did you change his message and deny what Muhammad taught you that God is your father? Why did you corrupt the Quran and change his message? Right? Because the Quran says Allah is not a father. But Muhammad is the counselor. If he's a counselor, surely he knows the father sent him. Then how can those quotations from the Quran come from Muhammad? Well, those parts of the Quran where it says Allah is not a father, they definitely could not have come from Muhammad. Because Muhammad knows better. He knows the father sent him. So he definitely could not have taught that God is not a father. Why did you change his message? What are you going to tell you? We didn't change the message. Oh, so Muhammad taught Allah's not a father? Yes, then he can't be the counselor because the counselor was sent by the father. Everyone with me?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, but wait. Remember the objection. How can how can this be the Holy Spirit? He says, I have to go for him to come. Context is king. What does Jesus mean? Let's go to John 14, 16, and 17. What he means is that I must go for the Counselor to come. Jesus wasn't saying, John 14, 16 and 17, Jesus wasn't saying the Counselor wasn't there. He's saying that the Counselor won't be there in the sense in which I said until I go. And you understand what I mean in a minute. So, that they say the Counselor can't be the Holy Spirit. Because the Counselor wasn't there, yet the Holy Spirit was. You tell them you misunderstood what Jesus meant. He wasn't saying the Counselor wasn't there in any sense. Because earlier he says the Counselor was there. Let's read what Jesus meant in context. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Muhammad ain't with me. He's dead and buried. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But many saw Muhammad, right? But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. You're telling me Muhammad was living with the apostles five or seven years before he was born? Do you understand what Jesus meant? Yes, the Counselor is with you and you know Him. You know how you know Him? You see Him active through me. When I speak, I speak in the power of the Spirit. When I do miracles, I do miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit. So you know the Spirit because you see Him working through me. So you know Him. But I'm telling you, He's going to be in you. But I need to go for Him to be in you. Because as long as I'm on earth, He's on me. won't be in you until I go. And by the way, how can it be Muhammad? Notice it says, for He lives with you and will be in you. The Spirit will be in all the believers at the same time. The Spirit is omnipresent. The Spirit must be God. Who alone can be in- indwelling a group of people at the same time to empower them? Only God, because you have to be omnipresent omnipotent. Whoever the counselor is, he must be God, because he's going to indwell all the believers of Christ to empower them to do the work of Christ. That sounds like omnipresence and omnip- omnipotent. So now Muslims end up making Muhammad God. And they associate a partner with God; therefore, they've committed the unpardonable sin. You don't want to use that anymore, right, Muslim? Yeah, I think I won't use that anymore. Good. Next. So that's one of the prophecies, right? That's how you turn it against them. Should I move on to the next question? Sure. We'll Whoever has another question, if you want more prophecies? We can de- deal with that. Let me know. Is it working?
0: Yeah, it's working. Is it? Hello, test. Test. It works. Amen. Um you said like um, those
1: three translations corrupted the uh, it corrupted it like the original arabic is there any other translations that put it better um, yeah good question I would say the best translations of the Quran would be AJ Arberry which is on the quranbrowser.com Arberry you can buy AJ Arberry from amazon.com or you can go to Barnes and Noble's or Borders they have it AJ Arberry, A R B E R R Y. You see it right there, it's on the Quran browser. Another good one is Rodwell. Rodwell's right beneath. If you see Arbery, it says Palmer, then Rodwell. They're so yeah. Get them into trouble, yeah. Yeah. Sale is another excellent one. So if you want to know what the Quran actually says, they do a much better job than the Muslims. However, Muslims won't necessarily accept those translations. But if they do bring up Mark in his baloney, then we should go right there. Exactly. That. Excellent. So if they say, hey, don't quote Arberry," say don't be quoting Ermin. You're going to quote, quote a sad case like Ermin, I'm going to quote you know, Fair is fair, right? Even at the playing field. But Arberry, Sale and Rodwell, especially uh, George Sale. George Sale was a Christian missionary who tried to translate the Quran as literally possible to show the Christians how disgusting this book was. He didn't do it for Muslims, he did it for Christians. He was preparing Christians for Islam. So he went and studied the Arabic and provided a literal translation so that the Christians would see how filthy and wicked this religion is. And we have it there, George Sale. George Sale, Rodwell, and A.J. Arbery. Try to get non-Muslim translations because Muslims when they translate the Quran, they're targeting non-Muslims. So they're going to twist the Arabic to make it more palatable for you guys. Because Go ahead. No, go Oh, Chapter 4, verse 34. In fact, just Quote all the translations of the Quran. There, you're going to see. The Quran allows uh, Muslims to beat rebellious wives. And not even rebellious. If you fear rebellion on their part, you can beat them. Some Muslims are so embarrassed, like Yusuf Ali. If you go to Yusuf Ali, he says, beat them lightly. In parentheses, right? It goes to the last part. It says, and last, beat them lightly. But do you catch it? It's in parentheses. Actually, it doesn't say beat them lightly. If you go to Pikthal it says scourge them. So a Muslim man can beat his wife if she's rebellious. If I had a time to talk about women in Islam, you'd be shocked. But. So right there. Now obviously he was embarrassed by it, so he, he improved on the word of Allah. Allah's Arabic wasn't good enough for him. He had to add to it. And he added in words in parentheses lightly. That doesn't say lightly. It says beat them. Scourge them. If you fear rebellion on their part. That's what it says. But be careful of those translations. Any other one? Questions?
0: Um, Yes. Can you elaborate on some of of Bart Ehrman's arguments?
1: Uh, Well, Bart Ehrman is saying that the New Testament has come down to us with varying readings. Because no copyist corrupted the New Testament or copied the same way. And so this calls into question the New Testament. That's what he's trying to convince the world. That the copyists didn't do a good job of preserving the original New Testament. However, that's not true. Even Ehrman has to admit in his book, Misquoting Jesus, and in his debates, because Christians have been debating him and exposing him. And Pastor Joe can tell you about that. James White debated him, took him to school, on what the evidence of the New Testament says. Not only James White, Daniel Wallace, who's one of the greatest Greek New Testament scholars, debated Ehrman and took him to school. Many people are taking him to school now. Because what does God do? He raises up enemies to the church so that the soldiers come to the forefront and do battle. Read history, church history. Some of our greatest creeds are the result of being attacked. Because sometimes we get lazy and complacent. So God wakes wakes us up by allowing the children of Satan to attack the church. And that's when the soldiers go to battle. What? Come on, bring it up. And you take them down. The fact of the matter is, and he admits this, even in that book, I've read it, he admits that the New Testament is the best... A tested document of antiquity. The New Testament has more manuscript evidence supporting its transmission. And he even admits that scholars are able to reconstruct at least 98% of the original New Testament. He even admits that. Well, what does it mean 98%? What about the other 2%? The other 2% are not lost. They're still, they're still existing in the manuscripts, But we don't know with 100% certainty which of those variants are the original. But we have nothing lost. And by the grace of God and his providence, we're able to reconstruct the original New Testament, not 98%. There are some scholars that tell you 99%. And that 1% is still available, but we're still not 100% sure. Is it this reading or that reading? So we have nothing of the New Testament lost. Secondly, when he says no two copies copy the same way, that's misleading. Because it gives the impression that if I have a copy of John written at this time in this place... It's going to read so differently from this copy written somewhere else. That's a lie. You can take any copy of the Gospel of John and you're going to get the same theology. So be careful of these sweeping statements. He makes these sweeping statements because we like things that tickle our ear, right? Oh, the Bible's is quoting Jesus. Let's go read it. Because you know what? Good old-fashioned truth is not exciting for some. But good old-fashioned truth should excite you. Because Jesus Christ is truth and he never grows stale. Amen, man. If you're getting stale about Jesus, something wrong with your heart. He's good old-fashioned truth, and he tastes better and better and better. He never gets stale. The reason why truth is stale for him is because he's dead in his sins, but we're alive by the Spirit of God. So, I hope that answered your question. And Pastor Joe, you're going to go on the New Testament evidence and preservation. Oh, yes. Well, you're going to get last praise God that you got a pastor who's teaching this stuff, man. I'm not saying it because of him. I'm here because I see he's on fire for the Lord. I go to churches where pastors can't answer these things. And they, they don't equip their churches to know this. You are so blessed to have a man who loves the Lord and wants you to be holy. Not just knowledge, but be holy and win people to Christ and know your faith. I'm being honest with you. So you take it as a privilege. We need more of this in the churches. We don't have it. And people are getting stumped. And they think Christianity is not true because the church is dropping the ball. You don't need to go somewhere else to get a Christian education. That's what you get right here in the house of God. That's the responsibility of that man of God. But you need to be praying for him. Because if he's in the front line, Satan's going to want to take him out first. Because if you strike the shepherd, the sheep scatter. So you better be praying for him. And please pray for me. And my wife. That will be on fire for the Lord. Hope that helped you, brother. And if a Muslim ever quotes uh, Barnum, say thank you for proving that Barnum is smarter than Muhammad. Because Muhammad said the Bible is not corrupt. He says... It's been corrupted, therefore Bart Ehrman should be your prophet, not Muhammad. So you should be Armenians, not Muslims, <laughs> followers of Bart Ehrman. Right? Any other questions? Go ahead. I don't have the mic. I'm going
0: My question is a simple one. I just wanted to know um, if the the little versions of the Quran that they pass out typically for free from the you know from the mosques. What translation are those usually? Is that Yusuf usually?
1: Normally it would be Hilari Khan or Abdullah Yusuf Ali. If they give it to you, take it and study But however, I'm going to give you some spiritual advice. Islam has powerful demons. Some of the most wicked demons. You need to pray before you read the Quran. You need to pray after you read the Quran. And you need to start studying scripture when you finish reading that poison. You need to be covered under the blood of Christ and filled with the spirit. Because that book is going to... I'm not exaggerating. By way of testimony... I've had more physical, emotional problems since I started debating Muslims than ever before in my life. The attacks do not stop. They come from every angle. Satan tries to find some weak aspect, let's say, in my life or people in my life and tries to capitalize on it. Before I got into Muslim ministry, I was alright. I got into Muslim ministry and I have seen spiritual warfare to the umpteenth degree because these demons are powerful and they hate the gospel of Christ. You need to be prayed up, bathed, and covered. Seriously. So pray before you read it. Pray after you read it. Don't think that, like Paul says, be careful lest you think you stand in your fall. Don't be so arrogant and comfortable. you think, ah, oh, it ain't going to affect me. I've seen many people fall and fall hard because they were not prayed up or covered. They underestimated the power of evil. You have no power against Satan unless it's in the power of the Holy Spirit. Even Michael didn't rebuke Satan by his authority. He rebuked Satan by the authority of the Lord. The Lord rebuked you. Because without the Lord, Michael can't do battle. He does battle in the power of the Lord, and that's a mighty angelic being. How much more do you need the power of Christ? So remember that. Don't forget that.
0: Well, my question is: um, You showed us in the beginning where you know it's teaching the Muslims to pretty much attack Christians, you know, hate the, hate the Christians, hate the Jews, but then you know, as you ended, you showed that in the Quran, um, you know, it, it, it shows that, you know, to believe the Torah, to follow the Torah, follow the the, the the Injil. Um why I mean being that this this whole book was, you know, you know, led by, you know, the you know the devil presenting himself to Muhammad, why why would he do that? You know, why would he
1: excellent excellent question? Why would Satan do that? The same reason why he would preach another Jesus, a different spirit and a different gospel according to Paul. Satan doesn't care whether you're religious he just doesn't want you to have the true faith he doesn't care if you believe in a Jesus just don't believe in the true Jesus that's what Paul says in second corinthians 11 2 4 so why would Satan do that because Satan realizes that if you come from a christian background it's going to be pretty hard for you to detach from Jesus so he presents another Jesus so that he can hope that he can use that to deceive you right i mean that's that's what Paul says paul doesn't say Satan won't preach Jesus Satan won't preach the true Jesus He's going to preach a false Jesus with the hopes that you'll be deceived and can have been following that Jesus so that you'll be destroyed. Because a different Jesus ain't going to save you. The Jesus of Jehovah's Witnesses can't save you. The Jesus of the Mormon Church can't save you. The Jesus of Islam can't save you. The Jesus of these radical scholars who make Jesus into their image. That Jesus is weak and powerless. He cannot save you. The only Jesus who can save, save you is the real Jesus, the Jesus revealed in the New Testament. Satan knows that. So he wants to keep you away from that Jesus and present another Jesus, another gospel, a different spirit. So why does he do that? Because he realizes it's easier to get a person to believe in a Jesus than get them to disbelieve in Jesus. He doesn't care if you believe in a Jesus. Just don't believe in the true Jesus. And that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven two 2-4. So remember that. Don't think Satan won't give you religion. He'll give you plenty of religion, but he won't give you the gospel truth. So just remember that. You have to be wise as a snake and innocent as a dove and know the schemes of the devil. And he's scheming. Now, let me think about it this way. If I give you straight up poison and you know it's poison, you have to be a moron to take it. But what if I give you m M&M and or Reese's peanut butter cups? Man, you're going to dive into it. But little do you realize that in the center there's even more poison than that straight up poison I offered you. But I covered it up with chocolate to deceive you. So Satan's going to give you lies, but he's going to cover up with enough truth so that you don't know that you're buying into a lie. Just remember that. Because if you remember the garden, let me just prove that point. Satan didn't entirely lie to Adam and Eve. Do you remember he said, God knows in the day that you eat of it, you won't die, but you shall be like God, knowing good and evil, right? But didn't God later on say, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil? So Satan didn't straight up lie, right? Genesis 3.5 five. God knows in the day you eat of it. You're not going to die. But you're going to be like God. You're going to know good and evil. Later on, God himself confirmed that Satan had spoken the truth in that regard. Because he says in Genesis 3.22, the man has become like one of us, knowing between good and evil. So then, how come Satan spoke the truth? Because you see, Satan doesn't mind using enough truth to cover up the lie in order to destroy your soul. He said enough truth to Eve to deceive her and to bind the law lie And condemned her and Adam. So go back to Genesis and see how the enemy works. He'll use truth. But he'll twist it in such a way. Where you think you have truth. But it's actually deception masquerading as truth. And a half truth is no truth. Only something that's completely true is true. So remember that. I hope that answers the question.
0: I thought it would be good. If Sam and I reenact a witnessing to a Muslim. How would that be? So you guys can see it in action and watch some of these videos. But you can see he'll give the best arguments and just take it easy on no, me. Now I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll play Abdullah. You to play Bullah? Yeah. So I'm gonna, we're, we're going to interact in our characters. We'll just act. And I want you guys to see how, how we can witness and, and use these arguments. Okay?
1: I'm going to actually give real arguments. And again, depending on the Muslim you meet, he may not even give you a t- time to answer because he's not interested. He just yeah. wants to embarrass you. But well, the most typical one is you believe Jesus is God. Show me anywhere where Jesus says I am God or worship me.
0: Jesus in the New Testament claimed to be one with the Father. And so him doing that caused the Jews to want to stone him. You
1: kafir, Allahu Akbar. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to do that. Uh, but listen brother, how do you know it means one in essence and not one in unity? Why one in essence?
0: Why Talk did Why did the Jews accuse him of blasphemy if that's what he meant.
1: Because the Jews wanted to find any excuse to kill Jesus. And so they would deliberately misrepresent his words.
0: So when Jesus said that he's one with the Father, and he then goes on in John 17 to say he receives the same glory as the Father, then what does that mean?
1: It means your Bible's corrupt. <laughs>
0: but, do, but do you believe that the Bible has things that are true?
1: Only those that agree with the Quran, because the Quran is the truth from Allah.
0: So how do you know that the Bible that Muhammad, the NGO, he believed in, is different than the one I have now? How do you because know? Because
1: the Injil has to agree with the Quran, because Muhammad is a true prophet.
0: So if the book of John has parts of 14 that you believe, let's say you believe in the counselor, do you believe Muhammad is the counselor mentioned in John 14 and 16? Well,
1: be to Allah. That's Muhammad, not the Holy Spirit.
0: Okay, so our manuscripts that I have that go back to the Kodak Sinaiticus include all of John, not just that part of John. So can you show me a part of John that's corrupted and is only showing your text and not the ones that we have? Well,
1: only John 14 is true because it's about Muhammad. The rest of it is corrupt.
0: But can you show me that in the manuscript evidence?
1: No, because you corrupted all the manuscripts.
0: So how do you know that one's right?
1: Because it agrees with the Quran.
0: So anything that agrees with the Quran is is right. Anything that doesn't, you don't need the uh, the man... That's
1: that's how it works. What Muhammad says is
0: true. That's actually how they're going to argue. Yeah. So I thought that would be good. So you can see we go back to the right. manuscripts. And their, and then when I was actually after, they started lying to me because I didn't have all the references. <laughs> and they were going to lie. Gee, they lied to you. That's a surprise. They're yeah. told to do that, right? Aren't they told? To, is there a... Uh, yeah, that's what Aziz? i was say.
1: If you go on the website and look at... Uh, we have an index to Islam. You go to look at lying in Islam. The Quran says Muslims can lie in your face with impunity and Allah is okay with it. Because the greatest deceiver of them all is Allah. The Quran says one of the names of their God is He's the greatest deceiver of them all. And he says, oh yeah, in fact, uh, well, anyway, you, it's on the website. Get my article and ask, he'll give you the name. Allah, the greatest deceiver of them all. We go into the Quran to show that Allah deceives the righteous and the wicked. He has no shame. And again, I've said this and I want to say it again. The kind of God you worship, for the most part, will, uh, will impact the kind of people you will be. Think about that. If Jesus is holy, what kind of people are you going to be if you love him? If Jesus is love, what kind of people are you going to be? If Jesus sacrifices life, what kind of people will you be? But if your God is a wicked deceiver, what kind of people are you going to be? Exactly what the Quran says. Allah is the greatest deceiver, and so he tells Muslims, if you're living in the land of the kufar, the disbelievers, you're outnumbered, you can lie to them and pretend that you'll befriend them as long as in your hearts you curse them. I'm going to give you a true tradition. It's on the website. He's got the links. You can show it to them. So they don't think I'm making this up. One of Muhammad's companions said this. His name was Abu al-Darda, companion Muhammad. Imagine this is Peter. Imagine Peter saying this. We smile in the face of the unbelievers, and our hearts we curse them. And this is called taqiyya Taqiyya means concealment. This is a doctrine in Islam called taqiyya You can conceal. And Muhammad said, "War is deceit." Khidah. And since Muslims are at war with the West, they can lie and conceal. Because Allah, the greatest deceiver, says, it's okay, you can do it. Wow.
0: That's their God. Let's give it up for Sam Shimon. <laughs> Amen. I want to show you something in the book. And um, this is, uh, if, if Sam, I, I was going to ask you this. Um, because you know the IDMR guys, I was going to see if they could do a debate for us, and I was going to see if you could come next Wednesday. So either way, we'll have the IDMR and have a live debate here, or we'll go to the J Dubs, the Institute of Divine Metaphysical oh, yeah. Research. Those guys. Now, now here's the thing: if those guys don't show up, why don't we start at seven? And then you attack the, uh, the Bard Ehrman arguments, the secular arguments towards the Bible. And then we'll go to the Jehovah Witnesses. Is that okay? So by like an hour, hour and a half lecture, just all, just all on the Bible and then the various attacks we get from it. Because yeah. I think that it always comes back to that, right? Yeah, Wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. That and the Trinity. Jesus is Lord, the Bible and the yeah, Trinity. Trinity.
1: Now with Jehovah's Witnesses, they, think, they say the Bible is true, so you'll be okay on that area. Yeah,
0: we could possibly make it about the Jehovah Witnesses, but then I just thought that, that that's just too easy in my mind. I wanted them to get the best one, you know what I'm saying? Okay, but if you guys look to the um, to the uh, page one, no one fifty nine, I have the defense of the Bible, and I reference there Josh McDowell and Doctor James's White. On, on uh, the scripture with Shabir Ali. Okay, so I wanted you guys to notice that the things that we were going to talk about today, Sam's already gotten to some of it, but these are references for you to start to get to, and we'll just uh, we'll just leave it to the Lord. I'll call you this week. So the bottom line is, next week we'll either be debating the IDMR or getting a lecture and going out with the Jehovah Witnesses. Yes, yeah, so if the
1: Lord has that. I just want some prayer requests, if you don't mind. My buddy here made it to the front page of Chicago Sun Times. You see the picture of the guy with the eye? Mm. In January, I guess he got attacked. This guy's name is Waleed Ziyara. I've been witnessing to him for 13 years. He's a Muslim who now pretty much doesn't believe in Islam, but still can't accept Jesus as God. I used some of the same arguments, and I did something else. I didn't have time to do it. If the Lord wants me to share it with you, one of the most powerful ways you can get Muslims to see the supernatural origin of the Bible, because they're into prophecies and miracles. Uh, I went through the Old Testament with him and I showed him that in the Old Testament they believed that God was more than one person. And I showed him that God is the Father, the Holy Spirit is God, he's a person. And there's someone called the angel of the Lord who's God, not a creature. And then I showed him that consistency with the New Testament. And then I showed him prophecies about Messiah being God, dying on the cross. He was blown away. Mm-hmm. Let me just tell you how much he was blown away. He started using the same arguments against Orthodox Jews. He's not a Christian. He would go to the Orthodox Jews on the bond, And he'd say, look, your Old Testament shows that God is a trinity. How come you don't believe it? Your Messiah is God in the flesh. This is in your Bible. How come you don't believe it? And he was shocked. They don't see it? I go, well, you see it, but you don't accept. Because he has our time with a man being God. And I said, it's not a man being God. It's God becoming man. But pray for him. Wadi Ziyada. He's at the door. Pray he gets saved. He has enough truth. He can quote the Old Testament better than some Christians. That's how much truth he's received. Wadi Ziyada. Pray for my wife and I that our marriage will glorify Jesus. She's about four months pregnant, so we we'll pray that we'll have a child for the of Jesus. Pray for my mom, Helen, my mom, Helen, and all my family members. None of them are saved. They're not Muslim. They come from a nominal Christian background, but they're not born of the Spirit. They don't know Jesus. My mom, Helen, and all my family, that they'll come to know Jesus. Pray for our ministry, for our support, and for me to be more like Jesus in holiness and in love. That's Lord. my prayer request